morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. Back after a week off uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I know I sure did down in Fenwick visiting my father and my family and got to see some people that I, ha- that I don't generally see um, very often during the year. Just want to remind you that the Bat Around is brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out a buy, check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Zach, how was your Thanksgiving? It was not bad. Um, you know, we, we had some family over. We always just kind of, uh, you know, have it at our house every year, and it's it's always a pretty fun time. So eat some good food and watch some football, uh, even though the games weren't that entertaining. The Cowboys one was good, but outside of that, the games weren't that entertaining. But, hey, it's, it's, it's I mean, still... They, they were all close games. They I mean, were. They were. I mean, I guess you look at the... Um, I, I just don't care about the Lions. I, yeah, I can't, the, what yeah. was it? The Lions and the Bears? The oh, Lions my. and the Bears, yeah. Um, yeah. How many times do you think that joke's been made? When oh. the Lions play the Bears, every time a million, right? a million, way more than that, a million. Gotta, I mean, you got <laughs> way more than that. I ha- I have to imagine. Anyway, yeah, I mean, the Lions Bears game it was close. It was a good game, but you don't care about the Lions, and you don't care about the Bears. They had the two longest losing streaks in the NFL going into that game. Like, yep. who cares? But it's football and it's Thanksgiving, so you watch it. That Cowboys Raiders game was really entertaining. It was. Um, if, if the Raiders are, are they're not. I don't want to talk football here for too long, but the Raiders are not a good team. But they always make every game really entertaining. I don't know yeah. why that is. They always seem to be in it every yeah. year too, until they inevitably collapse in the second half of the season. Uh, but that's not what we're here for, as you alluded to. We are here today to talk about some baseball or what baseball there is to talk about. Lack thereof. There, uh, there actually is a lot to talk about. Uh, first thing, obviously, the elephant in the room. Uh, they could not reach an agreement on a new CBA, and so at midnight, Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on your outlook on life, um, they uh, the owners unanimously voted to lock out the players. It's the first work stoppage in Major League Baseball since the 94-95 strike. Zach, how are we feeling about this? I, I, for me, uh, I want to see some moves, but... We're fans of the Orioles, so mm-hmm. we know that not much is happening. They did do some stuff that we're going to get into here in a minute. Um, but it, it, the Orioles aren't very active in December and January and even February anyway. Most of their signings, like when they got Michael Franco last year, it was in March. Right. So uh, when they got uh, Alex Cobb, it was in March. Same thing with Andrew Kashner. Same right. thing with Ubaldo Jimenez uh, going back several years. So it's not like we're missing out on a ton it's a bad look for baseball. It's at it's happening at the right time, mm-hmm. but it's it's a black guy, not as big a black guy as if this was happening in the season. But it's still a black eye on the sport, nonetheless. No, I mean I I can't say I'm feeling good about it. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, the Orioles are a team that doesn't generally make many offseason moves and maybe this year it would have been increased a little bit I think we're already seeing that with the signings they've made that maybe it would have been increased a little bit and they would have made some maybe minor trades you know some uh, minor league free agent signings of course major league free agent signings the Orioles are not really too affected here as opposed to a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees the guys going for the the you know the big signings the splash guys like Carlos Correa um, obviously with Corey Seager he already signed but guys like that 
and I think that that's the bigger impact here is that we're not going to see a whole offseason of these signings. But overall, the offseason is kind of slow anyway, right? I mean, it's it's so long. It's so much longer than basically, you know, any other offseason where it's so drawn out like that. With the NFL, you know, most of the free agent signings happen in like a week. And with, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, it happens over a very long period of time. So it's not all that different from what we've seen in previous years. But I think that the lack of like anything happening is going to be boring for a lot of people. And I know it's going to give us a lot really to not talk about on this show because there's it's just we're going to have to talk about the past instead of what's happening at the present. Well, but I mean, we're, I mean, not not to show our hand here. There's going to be stuff that we're going to talk about. There's stuff that's happened. We're going to be able to talk to people about stuff that's already happened. Uh, that's why we don't have any guests from any of the teams that made any big signings this past week mm-hmm. or two because we want to we want to we want to spread it out because. Sure. You know the the uh, part of that elephant in the room is the fact that, like you said, there's not going to be a ton to talk about right. uh, in in this off season until a new CBA is reached. And hopefully, that happens sooner than later. It seems like that's pretty. They're pretty far apart. The, one of the big sticking things is that players, the players union, wants uh, two years. Right. Of uh, before you become arbitration eligible, and the owners are not budging. Right. They they want three years before you become arbitration eligible because it it it's better for them. I mean, you want to have your good your good players for longer. Yeah, it's, as it's, as that. it's it's better for the owners. You know, um, a lot of concessions that the owners tried to make, a lot of concessions that the players tried to make, but again, they're still pretty far apart. But I also think that that's because there's not a a firm deadline of like I mean there was a firm deadline of okay we're locking you out if the thing is if things aren't reached by 11:59 on December 2nd mm-hmm. um that's the, that's true yes um but there's not a firm deadline as in look games need to be played mm-hmm. it, we're not there yet it's the beginning of December 2 months from now maybe things start maybe seats start to heat up a little bit. Right. I mean, two months from now, we're looking at, you know, the start of, of February, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit concerned at that point. Yeah. If we're there and they're still this far apart, then I'm getting really concerned. And that, and that you know, obviously, they have time before March and April when, you know, things really start to heat up with spring training, whatever it is. But that's when you start to get really concerned that, hey, they may not come to an agreement before the season starts. And that would be that would be really bad, obviously. I, I think that not nobody wants that. No. no, no nobody on either side wants no. that. Uh, at least publicly, anyway. They, some, mm. Somebody may be sitting back there and be like, look, it's about my money. I don't right. care if the season doesn't start, blah, blah, blah. Well, you you should. So, look, for a team like the Orioles, the minor leagues aren't affected by this. They no. aren't impacted. But business as usual mm-hmm. for the minor leagues. So, for a team like the Orioles, where you look at their major league roster and, okay, but like, all right, you guys don't get to play for a little bit. Or you guys might have to have to start sweating things out here. The Orioles minor league system is a full off season, yep. full steam ahead, and that's important because they're not after using that losing that year of development in 2020 where there was no minor league season because of the pandemic, that was detrimental to the Orioles rebuild efforts. Now you're in a position where the rest of the baseball world has stopped, but you don't have to stop. And I think that that's good for the Orioles. Not not saying it's good that the, that the lockout is happening. It's good that it's not affecting the minor leagues. Yeah, no, that's that's very important for a team that's in a rebuild, and the Orioles are very much in that, and they're very much a team that is is trying to develop their minor league players, and that is the the focus for them right now. So obviously having a minor leagues and having business as usual, like you mentioned, is very important, and they're going to be able to get their coaches down there to help those guys out wherever they are. Um, those guys you know, obviously will be working out on very strict plans. Now obviously in Major League Baseball, 
they're, you know, physical trainers, for example, can't work with major league players right now. But that's obviously not the case in the minor leagues. They, you know, any Orioles coach can still help out uh, the minor league players is the way I understand it. So that's very important for the Orioles and probably more important for them than a lot of other teams in baseball right now. What's really important for the Orioles is some of the stuff that they've done. Yeah. Some of the stuff that they did before they reached that deadline. Uh, they were able to make some moves. Uh, they signed Paul Fry, Jorge Lopez, and Tony Taters, Anthony Santander, <laughs> to avoid arbitration. Tony Taters. Um, Paul Fry agreed for 850000 the guy who had really solid ERA in his first 20-plus outings, mm-hmm. and then he just fell off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't even very good at Norfolk, but the Orioles keep him around. He's a left-handed option. Maybe they see if they, he, he can have a bounce-back campaign. Uh, Jorge Lopez made a ton of starts, had like three wins. I think he was like three and 16. Mm-hmm. Um, or three and 12. Something not good. It was bad. Um, right. he, he showed glimpses. Showed glimpses, but he looked to be better coming out of the bullpen, but then he got hurt. Really, really uh, rolled that ankle pretty badly. He agrees for $1.5 million. And like we said, Tony Tainters, Anthony Santander, uh, $3.15 million. They tender contracts to Trey Mancini, John Means, and Tanner Scott. Trey Mancini's projected to get... Seven point nine million in arbitration. John means three point one million, and Tanner Scott one million. And <clears throat> before we get into the Jordan Lyles thing, because that's its 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 mm-hmm. own thing. Last year, the Orioles were asking Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander to defer some of their arbitration money, and right. they said no, and with good reason. Why the hell would you do that? Right, right. Um, anybody that was on the team, I think the the highest paid player that was active was Matt Harvey at a million dollars. Well, Chris Davis doesn't count for that. He wasn't... When I say active, I mean somebody that was oh, actually God. playing. Fair. Yeah, I, I think I think Matt Harvey was probably... Maybe Freddie Galvis was a little higher. Oh, you, you know what? I, I'm sorry. He was their, their most expensive free agent Okay, oh, at, yeah. at, at a million dollars. But, I mean, there were other guys on the team through arbitration and whatnot. Trey Mancini, for example, made $4.9 million. Right, sure. But he was... A, the, the fact of the matter is that the Orioles... <coughs> excuse me. Last year, for example, they non-tendered Hanser Roberto because he was supposed to get like two point seven million. Right. Non-tendered him. Uh, same thing with Renato Nunez. Uh, they asked for deferred money from Mancini and Santander. They picked up the option on Jose Iglesias for like three and a half million, and then three weeks later they traded him. Right. You know. So the Orioles look like they're willing to take on a little bit more money this year, and that brings us to the Jordan Lyles signing. Uh, Lyles. Agrees to one year, seven million dollars. Which never thought I'd see the day. Which is, I, I I use the word remarkable for lack of another term on Glenn's show the other day, and he said it was very quick to say it's not remarkable, and I'm like, well, no, it's not remarkable. It's remarkable when you consider the fact that this regime has never handed out more right. than a million dollars, more than what two point five million, yeah, yeah. Uh, to a to a free agent, and not more than a million dollars to a free agent pitcher. Um, this is the, as goofy as it sounds, the largest contract that the Michael Elias regime has ever handed out to a free agent. So it was noteworthy. I guess noteworthy yeah. uh, was the word that I should have used. Jordan Lyles, 180 innings pitched last year, a 5.15 ERA, but when you really break it down, there were nine outings that he had where his ERA was 12.13. Mm-hmm. And there were 23 outings that he had that covered over 140 innings where his ERA was 320. Right. So this is a guy... <coughs> excuse me. I, I don't mean to keep clearing my throat right <laughs> to the microphone. <coughs> this is a guy who... John Means led the Orioles staff in innings per start. Five and two-thirds. Yep. 
he was right there. Lyles, five and two-thirds. No other Orioles pitcher right. averaged more than four and two-thirds innings per start. The guy's going to give you innings. He's going to take some of the stress off your bullpen at least every every fifth day, uh, assuming he stays healthy. He's got a sure. re- he's got a really great curveball. The knock on him gives up a lot of home runs. Sure, and that's not <clears throat> great for a guy in a, in a you know generally very good hitters park. Um, and, and I think Lyles will definitely struggle with the division filled with very good hitters. Yeah, parks. and and a lot of good hitters in this division as well as we as we've seen over the last few years. And I'm, I have no doubt that he'll give up the home run a lot. That's just something the Orioles are gonna have to live with. And maybe maybe Chris Holt has some kind of you know idea for him about how he can get better with that. But obviously that's far down the road at this point. I said on Twitter, I said when the signing happened, I'm irrationally excited. I think the what I mean by that is I'm not really excited about Jordan Lyles. I don't really think Jordan Lyles is a good pitcher. I'm excited the Orioles gave out $7 million. And, and, you know, like you said before, it sounds really stupid to say because $7 million is really chump change at this point for any baseball team. It's not That's basically a very, very, very cheap free agent contract. But the Orioles have given out, like you said, $2.5 million as their max contract of the last few years. So $7 million is a big jump. And to see them do that for a guy that... You know, isn't a Matt Harvey or isn't a you know Tom Eshelman or one of these just awful pitchers that the Orioles have for depth. This is a real pitcher. He's a real starter, and he had a lot of quality starts last year. And he's not a guy who's going to blow you away, but he's a guy that when he's on, he can be very, very good. And like you said, that curveball is good. The slider is really deadly as well. This is a guy who is a real pitcher and a real number two behind John Means. It's it's not like he's going to you know, put up a 2.5 ERA this year, win Cy Young. No one's saying that. But he's a real pitcher in in that kind of sense. Yo, absolutely. And it's, uh, when they talked about how they were going to add starting pitching, how they knew they had to address a pitching staff, and again, we're not calling Jordan Lyles a a world beater. No, no, no. Now, now if you really stare a 5.15 ERA in the face, yeah, this guy's given up over five runs every nine innings. Right. But he's given up what three and a half runs in six innings. Yeah, which which keeps you in ball games. Absolutely, we're, we're not trumpeting that this guy is a Cy Young candidate, like no. you said. <laughs> what we're saying is that this guy is something that the Orioles don't have aside from John Means, a right. guy that can keep you in ball games and give you innings. 180 innings was 18th in the American League last year. It's yeah, it's impressive when you look at what the Orioles have in house now. When they talked about, yeah, we need to address the pitching staff in the off in the off season, all of us were thinking another Matt Harvey type of thing, or another Felix Hernandez yeah. thing, or, or or somebody who hasn't been good for a while but used to be good eight years ago, who is still trying to revive his career. This is a a legitimate pitcher, yeah. in baseball who would be a starting pitcher in any rotation in baseball. Yep. Right, uh, even on a Dodgers team, he'd probably be the five, a, a five starter yeah. or a, or a long relief guy or somebody who makes a, a spot start. This is a guy who has a significant role on just about every ball club in baseball. Right, a, a, and it's good for the Orioles, and it kind of shows you. I think it shows you, not that the rebuild has turned a corner, but that the Orioles are saying, "Hey, we need to get to a point where we're ready to turn a corner," right. and this and this is how we get there. Also, it makes you wonder. If there's writing on the wall for the new CBA, that maybe there will be a salary a salary floor. No, I, I think absolutely. I think the Orioles are looking ahead to that. I really think they're they're probably thinking that's going to happen because, like you said, I mean the writing's on the wall for that, and it has been for a few years. I think it makes a lot of sense to implement that salary floor, and I think it's going to help the Orioles if that salary floor is implemented. 
I think it's going to help the Orioles get back to prominence a lot quicker than a lot of people thought. I think they're going to be forced to make these kind of deals. And $7 million, again, it, it's chump change when you look at it from a Dodgers perspective. You know, look, I mean, obviously, they're giving out $300 million contracts like it's candy, basically. But the Orioles giving out $7 million is a lot more significant than any other team giving out $7 million. Well, and this should, is a real pitcher. It should be chump... It, a year or two from now, it should be chump change hopefully, for the Orioles. Hopefully, it should be t- <laughs> right. Seven million dollars is not just for the Dodgers. Seven million dollars is team. chump change yeah. for any team. Any team, but for the Orioles, because of what we've seen, where they've been right. for the last four years, what we've seen them do every off season in the last four years, it is noteworthy. Right. Again, not remarkable, but noteworthy. Because it's seven times the amount that they gave to any free agent pitcher last year. Right. And I don't think that we can ignore that. No, I don't think that we should be standing on the rooftops with our pom-poms screaming, let's go O's. You know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, Zach and I do that anyway most nights. But I don't think that we should be doing that because of this signing. Right. But I hope, I'm hope i hoping it's a sign of things to come. Now, another signing that the Orioles made, they signed Rufnet Odor, uh, famous around these parts for punching Jose Bautista in the face. Uh, which was just awesome because we just hate him here. It's a one-year deal, basically for the league minimum. Texas owes him $12 million, so the Orioles will pay him roughly $600,000 this year. Texas will pay the other 11.4. Yeah. 27 years old, batted 202, 15 homers in 102 games in the 2021 Yankees. He's hit 30 homers in, in three different seasons. He strikes out a ton. He doesn't get on base. He has the power. He has great defense. Uh I don't want to say great defense. He's a solid defender at second base. And for all intents and purposes, great clubhouse guy. Mm -hmm. People say that he's one of the best teammates they've ever had. So for for me, this is a good veteran signing. A guy who's going to push some guys in that infield. He's going to make a strong push to be an everyday player here. I don't know that he will be, especially if guys like Gutierrez... Mateo and Arias prove that they belong here, mm-hmm. but I I don't hate the signing. I, I'm not again not on the roof with pom pom screaming let's go O's, but I, I I don't hate the signing. I don't really like it. I I'm not a fan of this. Um, I Odor hasn't been good for me for for quite a few years I think, and you know it, I just don't really see how this signing really helps the Orioles in any way. I don't really see how Rugnet Odor really brings any kind besides veteran presence. Of course, that's always a, a thing, but. I think he's known to have a little bit of a fiery attitude, so maybe they like that. I'm not sure what they see here, but I, I see a guy who's going to strike out a lot and frustrate a lot of people, including myself. Um, and if he hits 30 home runs, which he might, obviously, you know, right field is, is a decently easy place to hit the ball in Camden Yards, and he's a lefty with a lot of power. So maybe he's going to hit 30 home runs. And if he does, great. But I, I don't know. There's nothing about the signing that gets me excited. Jordan Lyles had me a lot more amped up than this one did even and I wasn't really that excited about Jordan Lyles so that just kind of tells you that Rugnet Adore is just he's okay he's fine if they claimed him off waivers I would kind of feel the same way I I, I don't even really look at this as a free agent signing really I almost look at I, I don't know why I just can't really put it into that perspective I guess you could say but it's not entirely exciting for me um, and I'm not sure it really moves the needle for the Orioles too much but you know if he's a solid defender and has a good clubhouse presence and he hits 30 home runs I won't be the most unhappy person in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. <clears throat> like I said, I'm not. I'm not doing jumping jacks. Right over it. I don't think you can understate the veteran presence. Now, let yeah. me ask you this: if if Michael Hernandez had hit 205 last year, but hit 30 homers and drove in 85, how would you have felt about him? I don't know. It's hard to tell. 
It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's, <laughs> it, there's a lot of factors. You know, there's just yeah. a lot of things that go into it. I guess, but I I, I laughed when the Yankees traded for him last summer. I remember coming yeah. on the show and making fun of it. I don't know. I'm just not that excited by it. That's just yeah, me. Yeah, no. Uh, trust me. I I don't think that Rufnet Odor makes a difference for yeah. the Orioles on the field necessarily. I think he'll hit a home run here or there that we're going to be like, hell yeah, we needed that. 470 feet or something, I'll blast yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I, but I don't – he's not a game changer. Nobody no. that's coming to this team is a game changer. No, no. You know, Jordan Lyles isn't a game changer. He's a guy who helps your ball club. Right. I think that Odor can help. Ask me in June when he's batting 180 <laughs> right, and, he right. only, and he's only exactly. hit seven home runs, right. uh, uh, and, and we'll talk. I, I do have a feeling that it's going to be more so how I felt about Michael Franco for the last four months that he was here. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, Odor doesn't move the needle for me other than I think he's a good clubhouse presence, and hopefully the Orioles can... Kind of like Le'Veon Bell for the Ravens. They can squeeze every last bit of juice they can get out of this guy. Right. I Which mean, sucks it, because he's only 27. Right. It's it's His best years are already behind him. And he's really, for some guys, at 27, they're not even in their prime yet. And it seems like Odor is well past it at this point. Um, He was just bad for the Yankees. He was just simply bad. And he was, But the sad thing is he was better than he was a year before for Texas. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so we got we to gotta get Stan on the line here. Uh, I do believe that the Orioles are in the market for another middle infielder because we had Dan Connolly on Glenn Clark radio earlier this week, and he basically said, yeah, the Orioles are still searching for another middle infielder. So we'll see if they go get themselves a, an everyday shortstop. Um, coming up on the rest of the show, we have Stan the Fan here in a matter of moments. Sounding off with Zach Goodman around 10.50. Really good one um, about the Texas Rangers Kind of irresponsible spending this offseason. Then we're going to have Orioles and baseball banter around 11 o'clock. We're going to get in a little bit deeper into the uh, Orioles signings, their arbitration um, tenders. And we're, Zach and I are going to unveil our own Hall of Fame ba- balance that literally mean absolutely nothing. Yeah, we're obviously... Uh, but but they're fu- it's fun for us, and it's going to spark a good debate here. Uh, before we get uh, Rich Dubroff from BaltimoreBaseball.com on the program at 1140. Uh, but with that in mind, I just want to ask you guys for a little bit of help here. Um, helping up asked us to help them. Uh, so Glenn Clark Radio is asking for your help. For the next two weeks, we need your coats and clothes for men, women, and children at Baltimore's Helping Up Mission. We have drop-off boxes set up throughout the area, including a Glory Days Grill in Towson, Mother's North in Timonium, Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square, Jerry's Toyota, and Jerry Chevrolet in Baltimore County, Uptown Chesapeake and Bel Air, which is literally right next to the restaurant I work in. So if you come up there today, you can come in See your boy and get yourself a martini afterwards. Um, and then at Duffy's Garage in Baldwin and right here at Meadow Mill, 3600 Clipper Mill Road in Hamden. If you drop off coats or clothes, please take a picture and tweet it to at Glenn Clark Radio or email Glenn at PressBoxOnline.com and you'll be registered to win an autographed 16. Do we have it in here? We don't have it in here, but you'll be you'll be registered to win an autographed 16 by 20 J.K. Dobbins canvas. I've seen it several times. It is fantastic. I wish I could win it. Uh, courtesy of Great Eights Memorabilia, we want to thank you for helping us help helping up. It's really important. Help those that are in, that are in bigger need than you this uh, this holiday season. Help people stay warm and stay clothed, and you know do your part. Thanks so much. Um, joining us now on the line, we have Stan the Fan Charles. Stan, first and foremost, happy Hanukkah to you, and how are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you for the uh, well wishes on the holiday. Appreciate it. How you guys doing? I hope your holiday was a good one. We're doing well. Had a had a great uh, had a great Thanksgiving. Some nice R and R with the family. So I appreciate you asking. Stan, whirlwind of activity before mm-hmm. the um, 
before the lockout. We're going to get to yeah. some of these big signings here in a minute, but the first couple things I want to talk about, we were just talking about it in the introduction, are what the Orioles did. Um, not insignificant, in my opinion. Uh, they went out and they signed Jordan Lyles, one year, $7 million, guy with a 5.15 ERA, did win 10 games for the Rangers last year, and pitched 180 innings. Give me your thoughts on the Jordan Lyles signing. Well, first of all, the signing like the like it's not like the Justin Verlander signing in in the other way, but it is similar that the deal is not official uh, until the lockout is over, and it doesn't automatically become official the second the uh, you know the lockout is over. He has to do his physical. So because right. it's not official, technically, it let's just say. Teams suddenly lusted after Jordan Lyles. If somebody offered him $9 million the minute the lockout was over, I think he could sort of renege on the Oriole deal and sign elsewhere. I don't anticipate that happening, but I think it's uh, important to put that caveat in there. I, I happen to like the, I like the Jordan Lyles signing. Um, I did a deep dive in him because I play fantasy baseball. I I remembered the the numbers didn't strike me as high. I knew his like overall number was wasn't impressive, the five fifteen ERA. But I remembered periods where he would pitch three or four really good games in a row, and I went back over his record very carefully. He started thirty games this past year, and I've got nine bad starts. And in those nine starts, he pitched 35 and a third innings. One of them might, might have been a relief performance. I, I'm not 100% he, sure. He had two but anyway, relief. But anyway, it was 35 and a third innings. His earned run average in those 35 and a third innings was 12.22, which means that his ERA for the remainder uh, remaining um, one hundred and forty-four and two-thirds innings was three point four two. That's in his tw- in twenty-two starts. Now you can't erase those nine starts, but if you give me a guy on this Orioles team that's going to go out there and pretty much two out of three times is going to give me a, a, a solid start. That's much better than anything we've had the last couple of years. That's all other I feel. than John yeah. Means. Well, yeah, well, and, and and Stan, it's even better than what John Means has given you because last year, Jordan Lyles right, had... Right, John had, Means, right, he pitched 180 innings. Right. right, but also, Jordan Lyles had 14 quality starts and 19 starts where he allowed three runs or less. Both yeah. would have led the Orioles last year. Means had 12 and 18 of such starts in 2021. I want to go back also to 2019 where he started the season with the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Brewers were in contention and the Brewers acquired him, and he pitched 12 games for the Brewers. And two, uh, I know this can, to, to some fans, it's like, well, who cares what he did in 2019? But I think it's pretty significant. In 11 games started for Milwaukee, he threw 60 innings pitched, and his, why don't I have the earn run average here? In 60 innings pitched, he gave up 43 hits, 19 earned runs, uh, struck out 58, had a 196 batting average against a 270 on base percentage, 352. 
those are not insignificant numbers, and I'm pretty sure those. the reason I didn't write it down was because it's just staggering. I think his ERA in those 11 starts from Milwaukee was like 241 or something. 245. Like 245. 245. So this is a guy that's got some upside. Maybe he gets with Chris Holt, and Chris Holt finds another trick or two. You know, um, uh, I think it's a really solid signing, and I'm encouraged that they spent $7 million on a pitcher. Now, what does that tell you? That, that was my next question. What does it tell you about this team that they were willing to spend $7 million on a free agent pitcher? I mean, it's the largest free agent uh, signing in the Mike Elias regime. Now, look, it's mm-hmm. $7 million. It's not not really grand in the whole scheme of things. But for the Orioles, it's noteworthy, correct? Right. Yeah, I would say it's noteworthy, and it would it would to me, it wouldn't rule out a couple signings once the lockout is over because there's going to be such a rush to get the lay. You know, it's like the, uh, the musical chairs. When the music stops, you got to get a chair or you're out of the game. Right. Exactly. Um, there's going to be, there's going to be such a glut of talent on the market, which is just what the union doesn't want over the long haul. But this one year, there's going to be a lot of, um, Interesting one-year contracts available, and I don't think the Orioles are out of play on adding another starter or two. Yeah, I don't think they are either, and they could add another yeah. infielder. They certainly did add one this past yeah. week, signing Rufnet Odor. Now look, they're going to they're going to pay him. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. I know you want to talk about Odor. I'm going to give you one possible infield signing. Uh, the Pirates. I think it was at a DFA or uh, was Colin Moran. And Moran was a Houston Astro prospect many moons ago. He was included. He was, interestingly enough, he was one of the pieces that the Orioles probably would have acquired the year before Michael Elias came in in 2018, or actually 2017, if the Zach Britton trade had gone through. He was one of the pieces I think we were talking to the Astros about. He was. He ultimately went to the Pirates in the Garrett Cole trade, and not an uninteresting bat. Now, what I don't know is I haven't seen him play third base enough, but he sure seems like all of a sudden you pick him up for, you know, 1.5, 1.7, and you you suddenly got a potential platoon there, just like you do at second base now with Rufnet Odor and, um, you know, Arias. I was going to mention, Stan, that uh, that Colin Moran is is a pretty bad defender at third, and I'm not sure the Orioles would sign him to play there. But possibly, you know, uh, he could. Play um, I was worried game. about the defense it, because I noted yeah. he didn't play any. I think he played one game in Pittsburgh last year right. at third base. And, yeah. and just looking, okay. looking at his defensive WAR, he had a negative point eight last year. Um, in 2019, negative one point eight defensive WAR. So definitely not a guy who can handle the glove very well. But uh, he could be an interesting bat. You know, he did hit 10 home runs last yeah. year. The average was all right. Um, close to a, and basically an average OPS plus, but uh, in 2020 had a well above average OPS plus. So the, the bat okay. could be interesting. I was thinking about the, the bat is interesting. There's yeah. no question about it. No you know, again, we don't know what they're going to do with uh, Santander or, right. or Trey Mancini when push comes to shove, uh, you know, but, uh, but the outdoor signing, look, I, I don't love, I, I really Dislike this signing. I'll be quite blunt about it. 
uh, I, I can't have my on base percentages be in the two eighties. I agree uh, yeah, on yeah. on any player, you know. But but again, uh, you face right-handers about seventy percent of the time. That would be about a hundred and five games, hundred and ten games. It, you know, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Uh, it, you know, uh, to have a platoon at second base that might produce you twenty-five home runs. You know. Yeah, I um. I don't necessarily disagree with you. Is that what you anticipate his role to be, potentially a platoon? I thought the Orioles were going to give uh, Ramon Arias every opportunity to win that second base job in spring training. I think they see you. I think they know deep down that Arias is not a uh, uh, an everyday def- defender out there. I don't think he's going to hold up. You know. Gotcha. I see him playing. You know, forty-five, fifty games at second base. And probably twenty, twenty-five games of shortstop periods, and I think that's about the most you're going to get out of him. You know, uh, I, I just have a sense that he is not the the kind of player that's going to hold up through the rigors of a playing every day. Yeah, well, I, I, and he kind of showed that this past year when he became started to become an everyday player, his his legs started giving him issues uh, yeah. as as the season wore on. And I thought that was red, I thought that was a red flag for him, and I thought it was a red flag for Jorge Mateo that both of them yeah. when they got extended looks couldn't stay on the field. So yeah, and we have enough of that as it is. I, I'm not I'm not willing to dismiss Mateo uh, as an everyday guy. I don't think he's an everyday guy on the center of the infield. You know. But he's a guy that clearly can play all around the, the field, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. he's a valuable piece for the Orioles. We'll, we'll, just, yeah. we'll see just how valuable, hopefully, once this, if if and when the season gets started. Yeah. Now you but, did, but collectively, the two signings are a little bit of a positive, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you on on that front. They're they're actual names that are still fairly relevant in baseball. Yeah. Now. Yeah. You started to get into um, Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini. The Orioles actually did extend contract offers to all six of their arbitration eligible players. They ended mm-hmm. they, <clears throat> excuse me. They ended up signing uh, Paul Fry for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They signed Jorge Lopez for one point three million, and they signed uh, Anthony Santander for three point one five million. Um, Significance of those signings because some of those guys uh, could have been non-tender candidates. In the case of Anthony Santander, they still could trade him, but they were talked that he was a non-tender guy. But they ended up paying them the money. How, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a, you know a positive again that uh, that uh, they clearly are uh, you know sticking to the plan and not stepping backwards. You know, which uh, right now is is the best we can hope for. You know. Yeah, and Mancini, he's due roughly $8 million. John Means, $3.1 million. Tanner Scott, $1 million. Contracts tendered to those players. They have to accept them before they go to arbitration. Um, it looks like the Orioles are having, just based on these numbers, have a little bit more of a willingness this season to spend money than they have recently. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with me on that, or is it just kind of the nature of the business at this point? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel uh motif going on i think they realize they need to upgrade the product um a tick or two even if they're not ready to contend i think they realize they got to put a better product out there and give brandon hyde a better uh hand you know i'll give you one name by the way i mean there are probably 20 names i could give you like i would have liked to have seen 
Rich Hill as a member of the Orioles, okay? But that's not going to happen. He's with the Boston Red Sox. But I will tell you that the Nationals DFA'd uh, Wander Suaro, and I know he had a terrible year last year, uh, only got into 45 games, had a 6-3-3 ERA. But the body of his work prior to last year, uh, impressive to me. I like the arm a lot on Wander Suaro. And he's a guy you could get for seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. Stan, the the Orioles have already spent seven point six million in free agency so far. Do you think that money puts them out of play for a guy like Andrelton Simmons? Because Simmons might cost a little more than some of your more value based shortstops because of the premium defense, of course. Um, I don't think it puts us out of the market for Simmons. I still think Iglesias is probably a better fit. For the Orioles, oh, I agree. Uh, I think I, I think because, they're because Simmons Simmons' durability also scares me. You know, I think he's a low risk guy for a team like the Yankees. If the Yankees don't end up with Correa, uh, I think he could easily end up there. The Dodgers may want to have the Dodgers could pay him four or five million dollars just to be a an extra player. You know, um, they can afford that, but. Uh, I, I don't think it puts us out of the market for Simmons. What is your what do you think he is? A five million dollar player? I, I think that that would be the max. Yeah. He, I, I, after how bad he was offensively last year, the yeah. gloves still play, so that'll get him more than his offense. Maybe three. Maybe three point five. I was, was going to say three like and a half, and I yeah. I just yeah. wonder if that's a little too high on the or for the Orioles. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's too high if they really love the player, but. The durability factors with him now mitigate how much I love the player. You know, yeah, I'm not that worried that he couldn't bounce back and do a little bit offensively. I mean, he was an actually a decent offensive player for a good chunk of his years in in Anaheim. Oh, absolutely, but 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 he's he's gone backwards. He he'd certainly be a plus to me over a Freddie Galvis. I. I'd more rather take a chance, but I I still like Iglesias, and I think the familiarity they have with him, uh, how they saw he acted as a leader the year they had him, um, a reunion there is not impossible. Yeah, no, I'd like to get a good glove at shortstop. Yep. I agree. I agree. Those those are my two guys, you know, Iglesias and him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, moving on to some of the – Stan, there have been – there was, I think, $1.6 billion spent yeah, in free yeah. agency in the month of November, which I believe is a record uh, for any month in any offseason in the history of the game. Uh, so we're going to go over some of these big contracts here. Just based, we're, gonna, the, we're going down the list based on where they were in the MLB Trade Rumors Top 50 Free Agents. So the first mm-hmm. one we're going to talk about, Corey Seager. Ten years, $325 million with Texas. He missed 136 games in 2018, 28 games in 19, and 67 games in 2021. How risky is this commitment for Texas? I think it's a pretty significant risk there. Uh, I, you know, I, I know how much teams like Seager. Um, the, the manager probably got a say in this. You know, he probably vouched for what kind of character the guy has. But the injury issues are are very real, in my opinion. You know, so I think that's a. I'm somewhat astounded that he gets three point two five, and what did Semyon get? 
one point uh, 175. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm astounded there's considered that big a difference. If if I'm putting a team together, I probably want Simeon over over him. Well, and that, that's the next guy we were going to get to is Marcus Simeon. Seven years, $175 yeah. million with Texas. It's a large commitment for a guy who's already 31 years old. He's had one yep. outstanding season, one good season, and several so-so seasons. What you can say about him is that he plays basically every game. Uh, he's very durable. Um, but is that a risky signing for seven years for a 31-year-old at that number? If You'd have to define risk with him. To me, you're looking at, at any of these contracts when you get that age and you get seven, you know, when a guy's 36 or 37, it might have a, a lessening in the back end of the deal but I think it's a really safe. I think that's a safe signing. Yeah, no, it, and, and I think they've gotten a player that's really just coming into his own. Yeah, you know, every once in a while you have a player that doesn't peak out at twenty seven, twenty eight. That it's the twenty nine, thirty, and he looks like he's really come into his own now. Well, yeah, and the thing with Marcus Simeon, it's realized potential because people saw this type of player in him years ago, but it just didn't translate onto the field, and it finally has over the last few seasons. So I think it's a good deal for him, and I think it's a good deal for Texas for sure. Yep. Uh, yep. Ke- Kevin Gossman, five years, $110 million with Toronto. Far and away his best season of his career uh, in 2021 with the uh, Giants. I believe his like 2.84. He was pedestrian in the second half, though. Can he sufficiently replace Robbie Ray, who's also on this list a little bit further down? Um, you know, the issue I have with Gosman, and, and I, I remember when uh, Jeff Weaver, the brother Jared Weaver, um, went to St. Louis. He had been a real bust out in his latter years with the Tigers, and then he went to the Dodgers, and... He ended up in St. Louis, and while the numbers weren't as great as I remember, because I talked about this a couple of years back, I'm always suspicious of a guy who has his first real taste of great success, and I would be willing to call it great success with San Francisco over two seasons in 20 and 21, who somehow doesn't value accurately what what that place has to do with what he's accomplished. And um, he's moving back into the American League East. Um, I certainly think he's become a durable, mature pitcher. I just question if uh, that that contract is a little too high and and that he hasn't made a mistake. I'd love to know what the difference in total number of dollars were and weigh it versus pitching in San Francisco in a pitcher's park. Um, I just question whether he'll have as much success. I don't think he quite replaces Robbie Ray. Well, yeah, I mean, Robbie Ray won the Cy Young. It, it, those, are, yeah. it, those are big shoes to fill. And I, and I yeah. agree with you, Stan. Coming back to the American League East, coming from the from the National League West, I think it's going to be a big difference. Now, that, that's not to discount anybody on the National League West. Those are the best, some of the best teams in baseball. But it's a this is a whole other ballgame. 
uh, no pun intended, for, for Kevin Galsman. And a $22 that's it's a going rate. $22 million for a pitcher of his caliber, yep. it's, it's a going rate. But yep. it, it just seems questionable because he's had one good year. He really has had one, one full good year. Full good year, right. I mean, if you look at the previous years, yes, he had some okay years with the Orioles. They weren't great. You know, they were usually mid-four ERAs. Um, but even in, in 2020, you could look at the 3.62 ERA, but that was a shortened season. And we don't, obviously, taking anything out of that. Really uh, tough. That's why, that's why Zach, that I pointed to the fact that, I, I, you know, it's not a question of that he had sustained success everywhere. Right. He's had su- real success in one location. Yep working with one pitching coach, and to toss that aside, and I'd say the same thing about Robbie Ray a little bit, you know, that was it worth the extra money? You had this tremendous working relationship with a pitching coach, and I know a pitcher at the end of the day, he's got to trust himself, not the pitching coach, but I just wonder if Gosman and Ray for the extra dollars they got, haven't made career mistakes, you know, in terms of of really putting together sustained runs of uh, sort of greatness or something like that. No, yeah, I, th- I think that it is um... – I think it's definitely something to be to be taken into into account here. We're talking about like uh, Dylan Bundy out in, out in Anaheim mm-hmm. when he had, it was Mickey Calloway, I believe, was his pitching yep. coach out there, yep. right? Mickey Calloway, yep. and then we'll uh, never know how he would have pitched with Mickey Calloway again. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, the the point of the Jeff Weaver story was that Weaver had a half a season where he really put it together, and then the, the off season came and he signed somewhere else. And was never any good again. Yeah. So there's a there's a risk when you change the dynamics of uh, you know, which at the end of the day makes me think that there's a chance that Matt Harvey could be back in Baltimore this year. For, I think I think there's a three million or something like that. You know, after seeing the Jordan Lyles signing, I am even more against bringing Matt Harvey back. I I would like to see another. Even two guys. Yeah, I would. I would like to see them up the ante on Matt Harvey, but it doesn't rule it out to me completely. Yeah, if if he gives you what he gave you in the second half, which again isn't world beating type stuff, mm-hmm. but it's it's yeah. good enough that he can keep you in ball games. I'd be I'd be open to that yeah. version. Uh, Robbie what's Wright, a, you know what's astounding about Lyles and so important to him and so valuable. <clears throat> to what he could mean to this club in 2022 if they play a full season, is how he came back from pitching 140 innings in 19 to 57 or 58 in the shortened season and then was able to pitch 180 innings. And don't that those 35 innings of 12-22 baseball, they're scattered throughout the season. Yeah. But how much of them were because he was sort of extended or he was in the process of throwing many more innings than he did the year before. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a fair question. It's a fair question for any yeah. pitcher coming back after that trun- truncated 2020 season. Uh Robbie Ray, guy who found himself in Toronto, 5 years, 115 million with Seattle, uh the <clears> reigning <throat> AL Cy Young Award winner. Seattle stands doing something we've rarely, if ever, seen them do, and that's spending big money on a big-time uh, starting pitcher, even if it's only been for one season. Um, your thoughts on the Robbie Ray signing out in Seattle? Uh, I, I, I like the signing. Uh, first of all, I think, unlike Gosman, I think he goes to a 
a, a less competitive division. Yeah. Um, you know, he, uh, uh, listen, he was fabulous last year and I happened to know it up close because again, he was on my fantasy team. And did I predict he was going to have that kind of year? Absolutely not. I knew he'd get a lot of strikeouts, which count in my league, but he was by far and away, in my opinion, the best pitcher in all of baseball last season. And it was a real irony that the the Toronto Blue Jays, a team with, you know, Guerrero, Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Semyon, you know, they, they had monster bats throughout the order. For some reason, other than one game against the Atlanta Braves when they scored about 17 runs, every game he was in was in the middle innings. It was 2-1, to 3-2. to two. They just never scored him a lot of runs. And when you leave it to your bullpens, you know, and by that I don't mean just the closer. When when a guy's pitching six and a third and you got to get two or three guys pitch the rest of the way and it's a one-run game, it's very easy that the pitcher doesn't end up with the win, even if he left leading three to two. And that seemed to happen time and time again for Robbie Ray. I love the ballpark he's going to. And I think Seattle is a team that's uh, improving quite a bit. So um, I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I like I like this signing for Robbie Ray. Yeah, I, I think it's a good signing for him. I think it's a good signing for Seattle. And I like the fact that Seattle is saying, hey, look, we, we, we're we in this thing every year and we fizzle out at the end of the season. Uh, and I think that they're really showing that they're trying to go for it. I expect them to make some more signings once this lockout is over. And yeah, done I think they they could be in the market for a Chris Bryant. Uh, you know, they, they could make another couple moves, significant moves. Max Scherzer, three years, $130 million with the Mets. Very similar to the Bauer deal with the Dodgers last season. Stan, is this the type of contract um, that baseball is moving towards going forward? Is this like going to be the new trend in baseball? Uh, not a lot of years, but a ton of money. I think for pitchers, I think that's clearly the the trend that the, the, the upper the upper class teams are going to try to install that hey we'll pay you a premium price on the on the annual average but we just don't want to tie in for six seven six seven years and uh, you know it's easy for Scott Boris to have not caved but give in on the length of years because of Scherzer's age you know uh, Bauer was a different situation. Uh, Bauer much younger than Scherzer. Um, so, uh, you know, the Dodgers just chose to take that tact. Uh, and I think it is a new wave of how you'll, you'll see the best pitchers in baseball attempted to be handled. Uh, and, and that brings us to Marcus Stroman. Three years, $71 million with the Cubs. The thing that strikes me here, because I think he's worth that money and more, Stan, is that the Cubs appear to be headed for a rebuild, and then they go out and spend that kind of money on one of the top starting pitchers in the game. Uh, what does this mean? It, it's, you don't see teams like this that are headed towards a rebuild making that kind of signing. Does it show that the Cubs maybe aren't rebuilding, or do they think they can rebuild while still putting a competitive product on the uh, field? Uh. I think it's it's uh I think they want to put out a competitive product for their fans. The division in which they live is not the hardest division to pop back into prominence, you know. Yeah. Uh I mean the Brewers are the are the Brewers and the Cardinals are the class of the division, 
but you can you can easily see a path where if they made two or three other signings and not not stretch that their payroll gigantically, they could be very competitive in that division. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it's certainly a winnable division. I mean, they have. It's funny because they had four teams go to the playoffs in uh in twenty in twenty twenty, and then last year just the just the two. I, I, the Brewers, I think, played in a wild card. Yeah, they played. No, they played in the series against against the Braves. They had just yeah, the, the two Cardinals. Teams. I think played. In yeah, the they wild were, card. they were in the wild card game. It's hard to read yeah. because they won so many games in a row in September. You feel like they right. won the division. Um. So yeah, I think that I think that your point stands true that this is a division where it's easy to get back into things. It's not like you're playing in the NL West or the AL East for sure. And then finally, Stan Starling Marte, four years, seventy-eight million dollars with the Mets. Really solid player for the Mets to go along with Scherzer and Mark Canna. And the question here is: every year it's the Mets, the Mets, the Mets. Are the Mets really finally back with these signings? Um, I th- I think they're pretty close to. To being back to being a team that uh, figures to compete mightily, you know, we don't know the condition of Jacob Degrom. Uh, they clearly um, need some pitching still, uh, but but they're they look like they're putting together a pretty interesting ball club for Buck Showalter to 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 uh, to head. You know, is 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 he? Room is he was on. I can't. I have a very hard time believing he isn't the odds-on favorite to get that job. It seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems yeah. like it. I heard him on the radio last night, and he was very coy about it. But it seems like uh, he's the guy moving forward for the Mets. So we'll see. I think that could that could be decided. This I mean, unless Steve Cohn has a bug up his ass about something that you know, uh, and I and I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think you know. I think. Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson know enough about Buck Showalter that they're going to impress upon him that you're the manager of the team. Yes, your input will be welcome, but we're running the team. Uh, and I think he's at the point at 65 and out of doing what he loves for three years, he's going to sign on for that, you know, and there'll be battles, uh, but those battles can be good, but you can't let him, uh, Get too tight with the owner and bully things over your head, you know. And you just have to be on guard for that. Yeah, I, I think you absolutely do. But I also think that that, that Buck Showalter is a great leader of men. I think he's going to do big things. He, he walks in. He walks into that locker room, and they just they just gain stature, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for him, you know, to get the job. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a show Walter fan, so if he does, I'll be rooting for the yeah. Mets this year. Stan, yeah. who do you have on Monday night? We've got uh, former Oriole third baseman Doug DeSensei, who at a key moment in time in, uh, back in 1981 was the Orioles player rep during uh, that first uh, major strike in the history of baseball. So we're going to be joined, Ross Grimsley and I, by Doug DeSensis. And do you have a guest yet lined up for Wednesday? Um, as a matter of fact, I have two guests this coming week in addition to Monday. I'm doing an extra show on on the normal night of Wednesday. I got the opportunity. We're going to have the executive director of the Maryland State Lottery uh, and Gaming Commission, John Martin, uh, I'll be interviewing him myself on Wednesday evening, 
uh, Wednesday late afternoon at 5 o'clock. And then on Thursday the 9th, we will have um, longtime SID of men's college basketball at Duke University. He's now an assistant athletic director with Duke University, and that's John Jackson. I met John in 2020, uh, 2001 when I moved to Durham, North Carolina, and had the uh, opportunity of a lifetime for three or four years to be able to sit at uh, Press Row at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Excellent. Sounds like some excellent guests and actually very, very uh, pertinent to what's going on here. And and I will give you one other. The following week, and I'm not sure what time or day yet, but the week of either the 15th or the 16th, we're going to have former Baltimore Sun writer who covered the Maryland Terrapins, uh, uh, Don Marcus, will join us. Uh, we, we set this interview up about two weeks ago, and it was interesting at the time. Uh, he's not a guy that's prone to knock or bash or anything. He's just sort of straight down the middle. He said to me, he said, watch this basketball team a couple times. And he's talking about the George Mason game and the uh, Richmond game. And he said, uh, this this just doesn't look like a, it looks like a poorly constructed team. And 10, 12 days later, the news came out yesterday that Mark Turgeon was stepping down. So yeah, they have. I, I every I've watched a lot of Terps basketball this year more than I usually do at the beginning of the season. Yeah. They they have not been good. The, they no. they've been very no. bad. Stan- Listen, Mark is Mark's a very nice guy, uh, and that's the best you can say about him. Nobody's celebrating this, but I will tell you, I wrote a piece. Now I changed gears on my piece that will appear in the December issue of um, a press box, the print edition. But I'm not a fan of Mark's, and uh, I think this is a chance for Maryland to get back for it, to its rightful place of being a top 15 school in the country that should compete for champ- championship relevance almost every year. Stan, I agree with you. That's where they should be. That's where they were yeah. my entire adolescence. I believe that's where they should be, too. I'm, I'm yeah. on board with you there. Stan, thank yeah. you so much. Always a pleasure. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks weekend. a lot. I'll see you next week. Bye. And that was Stan the Fan, Charles, who has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This past week, Stan and Ross caught up with the legendary Book Powell while Stan and Gary chatted with Mike Gibbons of the Babe Ruth Museum about a very special baseball card now on display at the museum that's worth freaking millions. Uh, find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash video. Coming up this Monday, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross interview former Orioles third baseman Doug DeCenses, a uh, big-time name here. There's actually DeCenses Lane. No, I'm sorry, that's Triandos. I'm sure there's a DeCenses Lane somewhere, too. Um, uh, then on Wednesday, he and uh, uh, Stan and Gary Stein are going to interview the executive director of the Maryland Lottery Gaming Commission, John Martin. That's Wednesday at 5 p.m. And on Thursday, the assistant athletic director of Duke, John Jackson, will be uh, on with Stan. So you don't want to miss all those. Tune in to Pressboxonline.com slash radio or watch at Facebook.com slash Sports. We got to get a break. When we come back in, we're going to do some sounding off with Zachary Goodman here, and we're also going to get into our Hall of Fame ballots. That's next here on The Bet Around. 
Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. Hey, it's KZ. The Pressbox Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you. Very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio and podcasts are available on apple podcasts or spotify all right welcome back to the bat around we're into hour number two hour number one of the bat around was brought to you by the press box fantasy football show with ken zalas you can join us every thursday at 11 30 a.m and casey will help you set your lineups and find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire in order to help you win your matchups we are approaching the final week 
of the regular season for fantasy football. And if you need to get this win to get in the playoffs, you want to tune in on Thursday at 11.30 for Ken's house on the Press Box Fantasy Football Show. It is all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Grill. That's a Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken's house every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. You can watch us at facebook.com slash Sports and listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And now... It's that time of the show oh. when Zach sounds off. It's sounding off with Zach Goodman. Wow, that was a great introduction. That was an incredible introduction. Okay, um, Rangers spent $561 million on three players in basically what you could call a 24-hour, maybe even 48-hour period. Uh, those guys, obviously, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, and John Gray, three of the guys that were more of the top tier of, of free agents that were available. Obviously, they got two of the five shortstops that were available. Um, if you want to call Semien a shortstop, he plays second base. He's going to play second base. Uh, but he was one of the shortstops out of the five that was you know, the, the highest grade guys, like a Carlos Correa, like a Corey Seager. So they signed three guys to $561 million deals. And for me... They're going to get a lot of credit for this, and they already have gotten a lot of credit. Everyone's saying, oh, Texas is willing to spend. You love to see it. And yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm happy to see teams giving out massive contracts. I think that's a good thing for baseball when, when a guy like Corey Seager gets $325 million. I don't think it's a smart thing for Texas. I think they took the wrong approach here. Um, I think Texas is saying, we are, we're done with our rebuild, and we're just going to go all in and throw everything we can at winning this season. So a couple things on that. Number one, you're in a really tough division. You're in a really, really tough division with teams that, honestly, are a lot better than Texas still. You add in these three guys, and Texas is still a pretty bad baseball team. They're going to run out guys that are just simply not major league quality players all over their roster this year. And I don't think adding Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, and John Gray really moves the needle that much because there's so many bad players still going to be starting on this baseball team. Um... What I would have done, instead of spending $561 million on three players, I would have spread that out. Maybe sign five, seven. More guys that maybe aren't as good as Corey Seager is, but maybe, number one, maybe uh, you know can stay a little bit healthier than a guy like Corey Seager. But number two, bring more value for the money. $561 million in commitments to three guys on a team that's already bad and is going to still be bad is just not a smart decision to me. I think going all in was not the choice they should have made this year. And I think if you spread that spread that money out more drastically, you're gonna. They would have been a lot better of a baseball team in 2022. I don't see them competing at all. I don't. I, I see this team maybe winning, maybe at top 75, 80 games. Well, yeah. And to me, when I saw these signings, the first thing that came to mind to me was the 1999 to 2002 Texas Rangers. Yeah. When they go out and they With get a rod, yeah. and, and they get well, a rod came in in 2002. Right. Oh, it was okay. Okay, yeah, but, I thought it was um, 01. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. He came in in 01. He yeah. came in in 01. He was gone by 03. But they go out and they get uh, Rafael Palmero, and then they get Andres Galarraga, and then they get Ruben Sierra, and then they get Alex Rodriguez, and it's like, yeah, man, you guys can bludgeon people. Yeah. But your pitching staff is terrible. Right. Like you, your pitching staff is awful. Right. Uh, I don't care. If you have a lineup full of guys that are going to hit 40 doubles and 30 home runs, mm-hmm. who the hell is going to throw the ball over the plate for you? And that's still the, the problem in Texas. And I, that, I, that, Exactly. It's not only that. Their lineup isn't that good either. Yeah, they have the best middle infield in baseball now. They have one of the best middle infields ever created if Semyon plays like he did last year. And, and Corey Seager you know, returns to his form that he was before the injuries. But And, and that's another thing, by the way, with Corey Seager is that you just gave 
325 million to a guy that is very, very often injured. And I think that's also a big problem. And look, these long-term contracts, they don't work out generally anyway, right? I mean, you rarely see a long-term contract pan out. If it's seven years, they're only good for three or four of them. And the, the rest are just a wash. So it's, it's just a questionable decision to me, and I really would have spread out that money a lot more. It just seems like they really threw everything at three guys, and I, I honestly can't see them doing much more because how much space they really have to work with at this point with the luxury tax, it, it's just questionable to me. Yeah, and you look at that. The lot is going to be a lot better. I mean, sure. they have Adolis Garcia. Uh, Nate Lowe isn't a bad player. He's okay. He, he, yeah. he he's okay. He probably gets better now that that lineup's a little bit more uh, formidable. Right? Can you turn me up just a little bit, yep. my man? I appreciate you. Um, they but they they've <sighs> that rotation is. But even the lineup: Willie Calhoun, uh, Kiner Falefa. Yeah, good glove, not a good bat. I mean, it's just. You're also you're also assuming that they're done, but five hundred sixty-one million to three guys seems like they're done. To me. Yeah, but they're not paying five hundred sixty-one million no, this not, year, right? But you know it, what but I mean. But it's still going to be a, a huge sum this year. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's still going to be a lot. Look, they're, they're going to draw fans because of that yeah. new ballpark and because uh, with no restrictions and those those new players. Now, look, John right. Gray has been underwhelming to me in his career. That's another one. I. I think they overpaid him drastically. I don't uh, think John Gray is that good of a pitcher. He's very I, I, th- I think he's being paid for the potential, but at what point does potential become a bust? Now, look, I'm right. not, I don't know John Gray's numbers off the top of my head, but I, maybe he had a great year. I'm going to look him up right now. I was going to um, do the same. I mean, he had 1.3 war. He had a 4.59 ERA. Uh, the whip was 1.329. Those are average numbers he's a, he's got a four five nine era for his entire career right you know what i mean uh, on top of the four five nine that he had <laughs> this past year, yeah. year uh he has two seasons with a sub four four five era and right. he has three seasons above a five era and two seasons above a six right era yeah uh john gray is not that good of a pitcher he's now really look not. I, get, I get that he's been pitching in colorado and maybe those numbers come down a little bit maybe, for the ballpark maybe. adjustment but John Gray ain't that guy. No. They thought he'd be that guy, and you're paying him because he was supposed to be that guy, but he's been around for seven seasons now. Right. Uh, or six seasons. He's probably not that guy. No. This ain't Robbie Ray. No. You know? Exactly. Uh, and, and I think that Texas it just made the mistake there. I think if they got two pitchers, maybe even three pitchers, that were... I think you could have gotten a lot of guys that were just as good as John Gray for a little bit cheaper. I think that would have been... I don't know. I'm just. They, I'm honestly just guessing here. But you could have retained Jordan Lyles for se- right for seven and, and, million. And I'm and I'm. I feel like Jordan Lyles would have a better year than right. uh, I think he gives you more. The Rangers and again, they may not be done once this lockout and we hope it ends. Once mm-hmm. this lockout comes to an end, there's going to be a free agent free for all. Yep. Right, yep. and there's going to be some guys that are going to sign like Stansev for a year just to know that they're going someplace. Sure. Right. Or reestablish themselves, whatever it is. The if 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 Zach and Paul in Baltimore know that the Rangers are doing themselves a disservice because they don't have a pitching staff, then the people running the Texas Rangers know that, and they've been down different regime probably as far as uh, ownership and maybe not ownership, but as far as like people that are running sure. the ball club than in the early two thousands. But they've been down this road as a franchise before. You can spend all the money in the world on the on the bats, but if you don't have the pitching, it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, I'm I I have to. I'm gonna wait and see approach. If this is okay. all they do and they go into this season, 
in the NL. And, and look, the, the Astros got weaker, but the Mariners are getting better. Oh, the yeah, Angels, the better. Angels are going to get better just by guys they have coming back from injury. Uh, plus, they went out and got Syndergaard, and I'm not sure they've done that with, with their starting rotation. You got to yeah. get more pitching. The Rangers have to get more pitching. Mm-hmm. I think they know that, and I I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they will. That they will get more yeah. starting pitching. Um, I would have to imagine, though, with these three signings, they're getting close to the luxury tax at this point. They have to be on the brink. I mean, this is... Well, no, because... I'd have to do the math, but... I, I mean, you're looking at, what is it, 30, $32.5 million for um, Seager, right. $25 million for... Uh, $25 million and then, uh, what is it, $14 million? Yeah, it's right. four, so you're, you're looking at about $70 million. Mm-hmm. Between those two, between those three players, if if my math is correct, that's really right. I mean, you're in the ballpark, but I think, uh, I, I, and again, I don't know what their number was last year. I don't know what their payroll is going into this year, but well, I don't know. A, I, a I, lot I don't of young think guys. It, I don't think it leaves them a lot of room. I just don't. No, nah, I think it does. And then, I, what about you know? Let's say 2023. They still have all of these guys under contract. They're still paying them all more, and they want to sign more star free agents. I don't think they're going to be able to because they're not going to have the well, room but, because but you're already paying Corey Seager that much more. I, I think their hope is that they have guys who come up through their system. Now, their farm system isn't great. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah, um, it's okay. I think, and maybe you add a piece here, you have a guy like, like a John Means type type of player who it wasn't on anybody's radar but then comes out and yeah, a gangbuster. Yeah. So, uh, I don't like the idea that um, teams, just because they spent one offseason means that they can't spend another offseason. You can make sure. trades, you can acquire contracts that way. Um, I, it, this, just like the motto of this show, man, it remains to be seen. It's it's one of those things no where I don't think they'll be as good as people expect just because they signed those guys. I think Because you can just look at the Toronto Blue Jays and how good their, their offense was this year. And they had the Cy Young Award winner on their team. They had, the, they had two of the top three MVP candidates. They had the Cy Young Award winner and they missed the playoffs. Right. Uh, you can have as many bats as you want, but you got to pitch. And I think they know that. I expect to see them make some moves uh, on the other side of this thing to to revamp that yeah. rotation. I think they have to. With that in mind, or not with that in mind, terrible transition there. Um, we're going to move on here a little bit. First, let, let's let's dive into that that former Texas Ranger that's now potentially an Oriole. He still has to pass a physical and still sign on the dotted line. Jordan Lyles. We talked about him a little bit in the introduction. We talked about him with uh, with Stan a little bit. The 180 innings the, uh, is the good. The 5.15 ERA is the bad. Uh, Stan's numbers were a little bit off. I actually sent him a text message because he, uh, he, his numbers account for all of his stats in 30 starts. Mm. All the stats, his stats for the entire season being mm. just in those 30 starts. But he's also leaving out the two relief appearances that Jordan Lyles made. The one relief appearance he went. Uh, it was in June against the, I believe, the Oakland Athletics. Six innings, five hits, two runs. The other one was in July against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Seven innings, two hits, two runs. So that's thirteen innings of four runs a lot in his two relief appearances. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, which is very good. Yeah. So really, in his nine bad starts, it's a twelve thirteen ERA, and in his twenty three good appearances, it is a three twenty ERA. Jordan Lyles is a guy that 100% could help the Texas Rangers this year. I'm actually surprised, looking at their rotation, I'm surprised they let him get away. I am too. I think that he's a guy that could help really, like you said before on the show, 
any team. He really could. He's a guy who's a, a legitimate starting pitcher, and that's the biggest deal for the Orioles of anything, that he is a legitimate starting pitcher. And I think he could help any club in, in a multitude of roles, really, because he is a, a good pitcher. And he's a – well, I shouldn't say he's a good pitcher. He's, he's not a good pitcher, but he's a, a real he's pitcher. A good, he's a good pitcher. I would call him he's a, not a – He's not a great pitcher. I would describe him as a real pitcher. He's not – he's just not a – he's not a Tom Eshelman. He's, he, he's a real pitcher. He, he's a guy – that you can go into spring training and assuming health, which isn't really something that you've always been able to do with Jordan Lyles, but assuming health, you know that he is going to be in your starting rotation and he's going to take the ball every fifth day. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, he's going to keep you in ball games and help you win ball games. That's what that's what he is. Yep, that's what he is. That's what he is. He's not Max Scherzer. You, no. He's not going to be that guy who's going to give you 240 innings, strike out 300 guys, and pitch, give, give up 300 runs or less in 27 of his 32 outings. He's not that guy. He's a third-tier pitcher. But he is better than anything the Orioles have had, aside from John Means, in the last four years. Yep, you're he, right. You That's know? true. He's better than Alex Cobb was. Alex Cobb had moments of, of, of greatness for the Orioles. His 11 starts to end the 2018 season when his ERA was sub-3 for those 11 starts, mm-hmm. he was very good. Jordan Lyles is better than that because he gives you a full season, he gives you the innings, and two out of every three starts, he's going to keep you in that ball game and give you a right. chance to win. The, the 14 quality starts is the number for me that I get the most excited about because 14 quality starts is something that could have given the Orioles a lot more wins than they had. That's... To me, a game changer to have 14 quality starts. And again, no one came close to that besides John Means, of course. So that's very important. And I think that the Orioles got a guy who's going to fill innings and be a real starting pitcher as opposed to a lot of the guys they've thrown out there, frankly, over the last few years. To me, the 14 starts quality starts are very important. Yes. 19 starts allowing three earned runs or less. And th- those are games yep. where he goes five and two-thirds and gives up three runs. Or he, right. gives, he, goes, he goes five and third and gives up two runs. Technically, that's not a quality start, but it's a hell of a, a hell of a ball game. That, we'll that take that all day. And the other thing is, not only does he have the 19 starts giving up three hundred runs or less, he also has those two relief appearances. So in 21 mm. games, yeah. he gave you a ton of innings with not a ton of runs. Right. Th- that's a that's a pitcher I I would I, I don't mind having. That's a guy who, when the Orioles are good, I don't mind being the number four or five. No. In the no. rotation. Because he gives you an opportunity to win a ball game, and you might maybe one of those games that he starts where he gives up six runs in five innings, the Orioles score eight. Sure, you know yeah. you don't take that into account either. There's a reason the guy won ten games. You know, there's also a reason he lost thirteen. Um, but how many how many of those of those nine starts where he was bad was the offense that good that they still won? Right. You know, so uh, I'll, I will one hundred percent take it. The arbitration guys that the Orioles got. That the Orioles signed, Paul Fry was a head scratcher for me. Me too, um, yeah. because I, 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 you've seen glimpses with Paul Fry. The first half of his season in 2018, um, the first half, his 2020 season, the first half of his 2021 season, but yeah. he has never, and I don't count 2020 as a tr- as a full season. It's a truncated season. Yeah, he yeah. has never put together a full season of competent baseball. Mm-hmm. He was good in his first, again, good the first half of 2018, was terrible, absolutely wretched in the second half of 2018. He was not good at all in 2019, in my opinion. Uh, and in and this past year, really good, his first 20 or so outings, and then, right. and then as good as he was in those outings is as bad as he was in the rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the Orioles look at it as, 
if we can get a guy for $850,000 who can possibly be a bounce-back candidate, why don't we do that? But then again, I think I've seen enough of Paul Fry as an Oriole. I think I've seen enough. I, I don't really think Paul Fry is ever going to give you a full season of good baseball. I just don't think there's – he you know, the velo is not there. The stuff is really nothing special at all. I don't know. I'm just yeah, – I mean, this is a guy who got demoted to AAA. This is a guy who got demoted on a really bad Orioles team. How bad do you have to be as a pitcher to get demoted to AAA? That's 608 ERA. Right. So it's – the Orioles would accept bad quality pitching, and they have accepted bad quality pitching for multiple years. So to get demoted – being a guy like Paul Fry, that's pretty bad. And to me, giving him 850k is a bit questionable. If it, if it had been league minimum, maybe I would have been more understanding. That's obviously not possible with arbitration, but that you know it is what it is. Um, everyone else made perfect sense to me. Mancini, obviously, I I, I thought the Orioles might not tender him. I was I was hopeful that they wouldn't, of course. But you just never know with the Orioles sometimes. Um, and and the rest of the guys, I think were mostly expected. Anthony Santander, there's still going to be a trade there. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily support a non-tender with, with Santander because he is still a quality talent for the most part, even if he doesn't really show it on the field most of the time I, lately. I think he's got one more opportunity. And I, yeah. and I think that if he plays well enough, that the Orioles will trade him by the deadline. I mean, Kyle Stowers is coming. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and assuming Robert Newstrom doesn't get taken in the Rule 5 draft, he's coming. Well, there, there now is no Rule 5 draft. so Well, there we, will be. Once it, it, They made it sound like there wasn't going to be at all. Uh, from what I've been reading... These uh, writers that cover the Orioles are still talking like there's going to be a Rule 5 draft. Interesting. It made it sound like to me that there wasn't. They just canceled find, it completely. Find, find, I'm going to find out. Find the article that you were looking at. Meanwhile, you look at Paul Fry. As I said, he he's never put together a full season. Paul Fry's career in the first half of seasons, a 382 ERA in 79 games. Yeah. His career in the second half of seasons, a 654 ERA in 74 games. Paul Fry is one of those guys... And maybe you pick your spots with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe you start him out at the AAA level and and bring him up when he's ready. Not saying that he. I mean, when he's ready that season, when he when you feel like he's pitched well enough down there, that he can come up and give you some solid outings. But at some point, when you start to see it get get getting out of hand, you have to do your part and say this is getting out of hand, and we can't have a repeat. This right. is what this is what this guy does. So Kyle Glazer from Baseball America said at 8.49 on December 2nd, he said yeah, the Major League portion was canceled. But then he came back at 9.55 and said it's postponed indefinitely, whatever that means. So, right, right. Well, po- postponed postponed, indefin- postponed means it will happen. Yeah, exactly. So the, the winter meetings have been canceled. Yes, canceled. And that's yep. when the Rule 5 draft happens. I saw the original report that he put out that it was canceled, but then he went back on that like yeah. an hour later. Yeah, so the, the Rule 5 draft will happen once we get back to business. But like John Mioli said on the program a few weeks back, it's such a small thing, it could really be done through email. So yeah, it could. The, the Rule 5 draft is... Have you ever listened to the audio of it before? No. I uh, so I've listened to the, I listen to the audio usually every year uh, because it's significant for the. With the first pick, the Orioles take Richie Martin. With the second well, pick, the yeah, Diamondbacks it, take the. It, it, it's basically like that, but the it's it's so informal. It, you've just got a guy and he's like, "All right, Texas, who are you taking?" And they're like, and there's some guy from Texas says, uh, "You know, something you can't hear." And then he's like, "Texas, it's it's not at all like the regular draft. It's it's so much of a. It's like the it's like a B movie almost. It's the lowest quality production you'll ever see. Right. It, it's it's something that gets done rather quickly. Right. And like super quick, like like in an hour, it's over. Yeah, and, and that's like three different phases. They have yeah. the minor league phase too, and they have the first round, the second round of Rule Five, and then they have like the minor league phase and all right. that stuff. It's it's really not that big of a deal. What I can tell you is a big deal is Press Box's Project Game Day. 
And once again, this season, Press Box Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. If you want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show, tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and once again, he's joined post game by your favorite analysts like the NFL chicks, Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Drew Forrester. Uh, from Drew's Morning Dish, he joins us every Wednesday on Glenn Clark Radio. He's going to join Glenn tomorrow for the Baltimore show. Glenn printed out the wrong reads. Or maybe mm. he sent you the wrong reads. I don't know that it's going to be Drew Forrester. Actually, I think it's Serena Hubbard that's going to be joining Glenn tomorrow. Um... If, uh, for the Raven Steelers game that starts off at 425. You can watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio. Pressbox is Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. Now, Zach, this is the part of banter today that uh, Orioles banter. Banter. Um, this is just this is baseball banter right yeah. now uh, that you and I have been really looking forward to. When you came up with this, because it's funny, Guys, Zach and I were very much on the same page because on Glenn's show last week, or the week before, however, uh, um, Thanksgiving week, we had a guy on, and we were, it was uh, Pat C- Patrick Stevens. He talks about college basketball, but mm-hmm. at the end of his segment every week, uh, Glenn asks him about baseball players who were all-stars or noteworthy players for a five-year period uh, in the 80s or 90s. I think that's the, the, the stipulation mm-hmm. that played on Four or more, three or more different teams, right? And so then we, start, we somehow we got started talking about the Hall of Fame with Patrick, and it turned into this whole thing: which guys deserve to go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. So and, and actually, we no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We were talking about with Drew Forrester, and Drew was talking about how Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame, and how Mark Burley, if he gave up six less earned runs every year of his career, he'd be a Hall. His ERA would be three three three, and he'd be a Hall of Fame pitcher. Blah 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 blah. Needless to say. And then we got talking about Jose Altuve. So I wanted to do a segment today where we talked about guys who were in the Hall of Fame and maybe shouldn't be there, like Gaylord Perry, who was in the Hall of Fame for throwing spitballs. He was a great pitcher because he threw a spitball, which yeah. is an illegal pitch. And he gloats about it, like, outwardly. And he's in the Hall of Fame, and people just don't seem to care. But then Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame because he, as a manager, he bet on baseball, not necessarily on his team. And if he did bet on his team, he bet on his team to win. Whatever. Zach and I were on the same page because then Zach hits me up this past week. And he's like, hey, let's do our own Hall of Fame ballots. So that's what we're going to do first. First, we're going to do the Hall of Fame ballot. I'm going to go over the names. Uh, actually, we'll do this one by one. We'll go quickly with the guys that aren't going to get it. Bobby Abreu, not a Hall of Famer. Very good player, not a Hall of Famer. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is 100% a Hall of Famer. Yes. He is one of the greatest. He has the highest war in the history of the game. Yes. And he's one of the greatest players in the. You can't talk about baseball without talking about Barry Bonds. He was a four. I'm sorry. He was a three time MVP and five time top five finisher before 1998. People talk about the steroids with him. That was There's, like that was like the late nineties on. Yeah. Yeah. Like Barry Bonds played for fourteen years, thirteen, fourteen years before he ever used steroids right. and made a hall he was a four hundred homer, four hundred stolen base guy. Right. He's a hall he's a Hall of Famer. Yes. Hands down. Anything you want to add to that? No, I, he's a Hall of Famer and he's he's the number one guy on my list. Yeah. Um I think Barry Bonds is very, very, very significant to the game of baseball, and he's not like a Sammy Sosa, where Sammy Sosa's success came purely from steroids for the most part. He was not a very good player before he started doing them, before the late 90s. A guy like Barry Bonds was an incredible player before. Sammy Sosa was a good player before he started uh, taking steroids, but he was he was a, he was like a 20-20 guy. He, was a, he, he, could hit, he could hit 20 to 30 home runs, and he could steal 20 to 30 bags. 
That's, right. I that's mean, who Sammy Sosa was. We, we don't know exactly when he started doing them. He but got significantly, significantly bigger significantly in, like, better, 1997. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, but, he hit. He went from hitting, you know, well, I'm not going to go over he, all the stats he, here. He but, perennially hit 30 homers before yeah. 1990, And then went to 66. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then he hit, had yeah. like, what, three or four seasons in the 60s? Uh, yeah, three seasons in the 60s, and then uh, only one in the 50s, but then many in the 40s as well. Yeah, uh, Sammy Sosa is a poster boy for steroids. Yes, and yes. you can tell because he claimed to not know how to speak English at those congressional hearings. Yeah. Right, right, exactly, precisely. Um, Mark Burley, very good pitcher, not very a, durable pitcher, not a Hall of Famer. No. Very good, not very great. Roger Clemens. No. Roger Clemens gets in for me. No, I, I just don't like Roger Clemens. I, Dude, but, but you can't, you can't, That's a, I mean, there's yeah. only certain players that you can do that for, and one of them's on this list. You can't, you have to put your personal feelings for the person as a human being. Barry Bonds is a shitbag, part of my language. Barry Bonds is a horrible human being, mm-hmm. but he is arguably the greatest player that's ever played the game. Yeah, yeah. You have to put, Roger Clemens is one of the top 10 to 20 pitchers that has ever pitched in baseball. And when he started using steroids, it was at the tail end of his career where he didn't want... It, it, it was it's fair. It was after 96. After that 96 season with the with the Blue Jays where he was really good and then he started to fall off. Uh, Roger Clemens had 10 to 15 years of being one of the best pitchers in the game. Roger Clemens, what is it, seven Cy Young Awards that he's won? Yeah. Some of them came after that, but... Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. Another guy who I think is not a very good human being, but he's a Hall of Famer. Fair enough. I disagree with that one, but we'll we'll move on. Uh, Carl Crawford, not a Hall of Famer. No. Prince Fielder could have been the injury man. That's one of those guys yeah. you feel so bad for. Yeah. Far better player than his father was. Yeah. Far better player. The Although they ended their career with the same amount of home runs, which is which a is, wild stat. Which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. But he, he did it in far less seasons. Right. Um, God, I wish Prince Fielder could have continued playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exciting guy, Todd Helton, man. He is on it, my ballot. A few, a few. Uh, he is on my ballot. I was, I was so back and forth with this guy. He I had mean, a few batting titles in there, one batting title, but he had a lot of really great batting seasons. Five-time All Star, four Silver Sluggers, three Gold Gloves. I mean, a guy that had a sixty-one point eight career WAR, uh, three sixteen career average, nine fifty-three career OPS. That, that's a Hall of Famer for me. He did it all in Colorado. He did it, but he still all, did it. He did it he all did. in Colorado. Okay, like, well, like like Larry Walker did it also in Montreal and also in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You can make that argument. Todd Helton did it all in Colorado, and I like Todd Helton. I do. I like Todd Helton. He's very good. But again, this ain't the Hall of Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton. He's borderline for me. If he gets in. At some point, this is the first ballot I've ever filled out. So mm-hmm. for me, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I, I I think you get in on a fifth ballot or a sixth ballot, but he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I I, I I could agree with that. I could see where you're coming from there, but I do deserve. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Ryan Howard had a really uh, he had a massive six year stretch. Right. But but after that, he's fell, Chris Davis fell off completely. Yeah. yeah. One uh, of the, one of the other bad contracts given out. Yeah, in baseball. It, it was the worst contract in the history of baseball yeah. until Chris Davis. Uh, Ryan Howard, not a Hall of Famer. Tim Hudson, very good. Injuries, uh, not not a Hall of Famer. Torrey Hunter, I considered because of the defense. And the bat was good enough. 
Yeah, and I, he didn't make my list, but I, I think that he's a guy who might make it in later. Um, there, there, there are guys in the Hall of Fame right now, like Ozzie Smith, who were in this pri- primarily for the, for the because glove. of the glove, yeah. and Luis Aparicio. Right. Right. Uh, Torrey Hunter, I wanted to do it because of the glove, but the offensive numbers, they were good, but they weren't Hall of Fame good. They weren't good enough right. that when you add his glove, that they could get him in. Yeah, I mean, he, he did only have 9.5% of the ballot last year, so, you know, he's he's still a long ways off. But I, I do, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer for me. Not yet, at least. Andrew Jones. Yes. He's no. On, he's on my ballot. Yeah. Andrew Jones is not a Hall of Famer. I would, if I would Fred, disagree. If Fred McGriff is, well, I think is Fred not McGriff. a Hall of Famer, Andrew Jones is not a Hall of Famer. I think Fred Famer. McGriff should be in there, too, to be fair. Andrew, you know what? I mean, he, let, he, let, he, let, me, let me redo this. Andrew Again, Jones won 10 gold gloves. Torrey Hunter won 9. All right. Well, the the number the hitting numbers were significantly better the, the, for me. The, yeah, uh, until two thousand four. Yeah, I mean there was a bit of a there was a bit of a drop off. He, he 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 stopped being able to hit his weight. I mean he, he at a point. Right. He hit two sixty three with fifty one home runs in two thousand five though. Um, he hit two sixty two with forty one home runs in two six. But definitely towards the end of the year uh, or the end of his career, I should say, he started to low two hundreds, late late one nineties. So R- right. Yeah. And, and and that's my thing. When he in oh five oh six. Those are his 10th and 11th years in the league. Mm-hmm. If the first half of your career is really great, and then the second half of your career, and you stick around for another eight seasons, what was it, seven, eight seasons that he stuck around after that? Uh, after 06? Yeah, it was six seasons. Six seasons. And you're batting in the low 200s, high 190s. You're not a Hall of Famer to me. Yeah, 158 in 2008 with yeah. the Dodgers. You're not a Hall of Famer. Uh, Andrew Jones will get in. He will get in at some point, maybe this year. Andrew Jones will get in, not on the first ballot, and that's what our ballots are. This isn't the. This is a guy I would vote for eventually. Right. This is a guy who I would vote for on my first ballot. And Andrew Jones doesn't get in on my first ballot. Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent is not on my list, but he's one I strongly considered. I strongly considered him because he's one of the best ever at his position. Right. But if we start going down that down that road, yeah, it, it gets a little bit crowded when you start doing that. Yeah. Uh, as far as who would make the Hall of Fame, so yeah, Jeff Kent, really great player, really really great player, doesn't make my list. Yeah, uh, Tim Lincecum. No, <laughs> he was he was on that path. Won two Sun Young yeah. awards, but just fell off a cliff. Right. Uh, though he did, he fell off a cliff, then climbed back up at the throw a no hitter, and then re- immediately fell right back off. It. Right. Um, Justin Morneau, God, he was a great player. Right. He started having those. Uh, he got got a concussion and started having those migraines and ruined his career. Yeah. And he's not in. Joe no. Nathan, good closer, not great, not in. David Ortiz. David Ortiz is one of those guys, man, where you know he used steroids and nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it, and they're going to vote him in. Yeah. On his first bout, they're going to vote him in. I look at a player, if they didn't use steroids, would they have impacted the game the way they did? And I don't think David Ortiz would have. I, think, I disagree. I, I just... I think uh, David Ortiz is, again, one of those people, and he's on my ballot, and he's one of those people for me that is so significant to the game of baseball in many ways, I think David Ortiz has to make it. It's, it's fair. He's just so significant to baseball. He, you ask a lot of non-baseball fans anywhere who the best baseball players ever are, I, I guarantee you David Ortiz will come up. Well, yeah, in Boston for sure. In Boston for sure, but really anywhere. I think he's that, he's that significant. Well, and they see him, and he's on TV now. Look, David Ortiz, sure. very good player. Mm-hmm. Very good player. Hall of Fame player. With steroids. If you yeah. take the steroids away, if you take the steroids away from Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, I still think that they're Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. If you take the steroids away from David Ortiz, I think he's a good player, but not Hall of Fame worthy. Right? That's uh, fair. Uh, uh, he, he's. Uh, Rafi, you take the steroids away from Rafael Palmero, right? I still think he's a Hall of Fame player. 
I think that maybe he used uh, his size never changed. Palmero was the same size his entire career. Mm-hmm. So to tell me that he used steroids, I've always questioned that to begin with. Um, and then the fact that when he was 53 years old, he went and played minor league baseball and hit over 300. And I think that that, that, that means Pal- Rafael Palmer is a Hall of Fame player. David Ortiz isn't that guy. I think David Ortiz, without steroids, is a 260 hitter that still hits 30 home runs every now and again. Right. But he's not a guy that hits 330 with 52 home runs. Yeah. Right. Fair. You know, Fair. Uh, Jonathan Papelbaum, good closer for about an 8 to 10 year stretch, not a Hall of Famer. Because there's only no. eight closers in the Hall of Fame. Jake Peavy, good starting pitcher for the first half of his career, not a Hall of Famer. Andy Pettit, steroid allegations. and I considered it because of the seven World Series. Seven World Series rings is a lot of World Series rings. He's but got seven? He's got seven. But I. He won four with the Yankees. Yeah. One I, with the Astros. Uh, let me see where the other two came from. Real quick, I'll pull this up. But yeah, he he does have seven World Series. Or no, five. Sorry, five. It's five. Who yeah. who was I mixing up with seven? Who had seven? Nobody. Nobody has seven. All right, yeah, I'm wrong. So <laughs> f- five World Series rings. Excuse me, but still, I for that reason alone, yeah, I considered but, it. But, yeah, but but that's a lot of World Series. It's a lot of World. Uh, but I mean, three, five career ERA. Right? I mean, the guy was a great pitcher, but like you said, again, the steroid allegations. Steroid, for sure. steroid allegations. Uh, like Mike Mussina. Mm-hmm. Had a three five ERA or three six ERA in his career, yeah. pitching exclusively in the American League East. Yeah. Won won seven won eleven games or more seventeen straight years in the American League East and did not use steroids. That's right. a Hall of Fame pitcher. Comparable numbers uh, for how many wins did he have? I feel like he had like two hundred and twelve. Uh, let me check on that real quick. But it, it was a lot. I mean, I, I it was two hundred fifty six. Yeah, two hundred fifty six. Not enough wins to get in. Yeah, the ERA is good, but again, steroids. What kind of pitch? We'll, and we'll never know. We don't know because he kind of came came in early, late, late. Late late nineties, like ninety six, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you'll never know when he started using steroids. You'll right. you'll never know. Um, who who are we at now? Uh, AJ Przinsky, another horrible human being who's not a Hall of Fame player. Uh, no. good catcher, very good catcher, one of the best in baseball for a while. There, yeah. not a Hall of Famer. We no. we gotta really pick this up. Manny Ramirez. Nope, he's on my ballot. Really? See, you're, you're inconsistent with these steroid no, Ma- things. <laughs> Manny Ramirez is a Hall of Famer without steroids. Uh, yeah. Manny Ramirez was. I would just, argue the same about David Ortiz. He's he's just a, he was a pure hitter. Manny Ramirez when he came up to the Indians in the, mm. the now the Guardians, but they were the Indians back then. Um, when he came up to Cleveland in the mid '90s, pure hitter. No doubt. Pure, pure yeah. hitter, skinny kid who hit well over 300, hit over 30 home runs. Started using steroids when he joined up with David Ortiz in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. And I think he started using steroids to kind of keep his career going. Yeah, it's hard to say. He still plays baseball in Australia, yeah, I think, does. at like 48 years yeah. old. Uh, Manny Ramirez, for me, the bat was so pure and so natural mm-hmm. that I, I have to put him in, in my uh, I have to put him in my Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez. <sighs> well, this is one of those guys where, where I contradict myself because without steroids, I think he's a Hall of Fame player. Oh, easy. But what he did, the whole Balco thing, mm-hmm. the the whole th- got suspended for a year, lying, 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 trying to pay people to cover this up. What he did was just as egregious as people think what Pe- what Pete Rose did. For me, Alex Rodriguez, while he's Hall of Fame talent, is not in the Hall of Fame. If you're keeping Barry Bonds, if they're keeping Barry Bonds out, you're keeping Alex Rodriguez out. So for me, he's not. We, we, we got to really. He's pick not. This up he's not on my ballot because anybody who sues baseball probably shouldn't be in the hall. Yeah, he's he sued sued Major yeah. League Baseball. Yeah. Absolutely, Scott Rowland. Yes, for me, he's not. He is. But I, I I never looked at, at, at Scott Rowland. He again, very good. But this is the hall that you fair. you measure him up against Mike Schmidt and Chipper Jones and Brooks Robinson. 
he he's not in their category. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, seventy WAR in his career. I mean, that's yeah. a really high number. I mean, it's, I, it, it's a really high number. But the best WAR in baseball is more than two times that. True. You know, fair. Uh, right. Scott Rowland, really good defender, really good hitter, not great. He he's not he he no, was a great defender, yeah. a good hitter. Yeah. He's not, to me, one of the greatest players of all time. I okay. can't put him in there. When people talk about the greatest players of all time, Scott Rowland will never enter my mind. That's why I can't put him I in like there. I like Scott Rowland a lot. I'm a fan. I, I, I like him, too. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Jimmy Rollins, no. no. Kurt Schilling, no, because he doesn't want to be. No. Uh, Gary Sheffield, steroid poster boy. He, no. He's on my list. I, I think Gary Sheff, <laughs> he's on my list. But we'll move on because we, we really got we really got to run on this. But I, I actually do have one more guy on my list if you just want me to say it right now. But that's uh, a guy who's been on the ballot for a long time who I really think deserves it just because he really is one of the better at his position of all time. But Billy Wagner, I think Billy Wagner deserves. Billly Wagner's not a Hall of Famer. I think but he is. 400, what was it, 444 saves? Yeah, something like um, that, yeah, in the 400s, yeah. All the other closers in the league. Push uh, to uh, 600, yeah. Uh, push to six, and the guys that aren't. Led the league in saves multiple times. Billy Wagner ne- ne- never, never led the league in saves. That's fair, but I-, I think when you think about the best closers of all time, he comes to mind instantly. John me. Franco has more saves in his career than Billy Wagner. Not in the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner, fair. not a Hall of Famer. Omar Vizquel. No. <laughs> that's the guy who if he gets in, it's going to be because of his glove. Yeah. Mark Teixeira didn't do it for long enough. Sam, And we already talked about Sammy Sosa. Also, Look, two, two, 231 ERA for Billy Wagner. That's another one that's kind of a... Uh, I mean, that's a really, really solid career ERA for as long as he pitched. Uh, that's just my opinion, of course. But Billy Wagner comes to mind when I think about the best closers. Yeah, uh, yeah, but is he in the same ilk of Trevor Hoffman and no. Mariano Rivera no. and, and Dennis Eckersley? But then again... If he's not there, those are Hall of Famers. But then again, Harold Baines isn't in the same ilk as... Harold know, Baines didn't get voted Babe in on Ruth. ballots. He got voted in by the by the by yeah, but he's still in the committee. Hall of Fame though. Yeah, and, and Harold, be you can make you you can make uh, Harold Baines is one of those guys that people don't believe belongs in the Hall no. of Fame. But if, if Harold Baines averaged one more hit a month for his entire career, one more hit a month, he has three thousand hits. And nobody questions it. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, one, okay. I, I looked it up one time. Um, we are really behind on our breaks. You know what? Just. We'll we'll work it out. Let's let's give uh let's give Rich a call from Baltimore. Rich Dubrow from BaltimoreBaseball.com. We'll give him a call and we'll get a break after that. Come back and we we got it we got it covered. But no, uh, Billy Wagner to me. Again, I think that we do this thing where we take our favorite players, the players that we thought were really good, and we say, oh, they were great. The Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame, guys. You have to be elite. You have to be elite to get in the Hall of Fame. You can like a player all you want. If you like him, go buy his poster, go buy his baseball cards, you know, contribute to his charity. But does he belong in the do guys belong in the Hall of Fame that were really good but not really great? No, I mean technically not, but I I I'm more of a person who looks at some of the people that are in the Hall of Fame currently and I go if he's in there than a guy like Scott Rowland should be. You know, it's just, it, to me, there's some guys in the Hall of Fame right now that, I'm, I, that I don't think deserve to be there in the first place, and there are guys that are more deserving on this ballot. A, a, a bunch of those guys are that you have on your ballot, the, or the, that you have, that you think are in there that don't deserve to be, Harold Baines aside. And I think Harold Baines, uh, people knock him because he wasn't flashy, but he was just one of the best hitters in the game for really long, for like 22 years. No doubt, I mean, great hitter, yeah. Um, yeah. But... Some of those guys, when you look at them now with hindsight, they're not. They maybe they're not Hall of Fame worthy, but in their era, they were the best of their era. 
Fair. Scott Rowland yeah. was never the best of his era. He was never the best third baseman in the game. Chipper Jones was the best third baseman in the game. Brooks Robinson was the best third not, baseman in the game. That's not Scott Rowland's fault, though. Sure it is. I mean, is it? Chipper Jones was an incredible player. I mean, it's hard. Right. It's hard to become Chip, better than Chipper Jones. You're making Jones. my argument. Chipper Jones no, was that, a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland was a very good player. Was Scott Rowland really that far below though? I, Scott Rowland's career numbers are incredible. They're not Hall of Fame worthy. <laughs> All right. Anyway, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we've got a uh, we've got on the line now from BaltimoreBaseball.com, Rich Dubroff. Rich, thanks for joining us again. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing really well. We're having a heated discussion here about the Hall of Fame. Is Scott Rowland on your Hall of Fame ballot? Do you consider him a Hall of Famer? Yes. Okay. Um, All right, Rich. There we go. There we go. Uh, I, 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 I know that I'm in the minority here. That I'm in the minority here. Well, you're it, on. You're, well, I mean, among the baseball writers, um, the, the baseball writers, a majority of those voting last year had him on the ballot. I think it was 52.5. Uh Okay, when you look at Scott, when you look at Scott Rowland, uh, one of the things that one of the things that people look at more closely now than they did uh, you know, ten years ago or more is WAR. Yeah, Scott Rowland, uh, look at career WAR, and look at who is not in the Hall of Fame who has a higher WAR than Scott Rowland. It's basically guys who are on the ballot now. Rafael Palmero, uh, Bobby Gritch, Lou Whitaker, and one guy who's going to be considered tomorrow for the uh, early baseball ballot, Bill Dolan. Uh, those are the those are basically the only people who are on the uh, who are higher in WAR than Scott Rowland, and not in you know and not in the Hall of Fame. One of the arguments I, I actually I heard, you know, you guys making just before you had me on is something that is, you know, it's a kind of a fallacy that's been passed down from generation to generation. People say, well, was Scott Rowland the best third baseman of his time? That that should not be criteria for being in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Who was the best? Let me ask you. I don't because you got you got and you guys aren't old enough to remember this. But who who was the best catcher of the nineteen sixties? Uh, I I do not know. Okay, the best catchers of the nineteen sixties were people like Earl Batty and John Roseboro and Elston Howard and Bill Freehan. Okay, they were really good. They were really good catchers. But let's say I said. Well, I think Bill Freehand, who died a few months ago, belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, why? Well, he was the best catcher of his, of the decade. Well, you know, sometimes the decade isn't very good. Then on the flip side, there's a guy. There's a guy who was way before your time. And he was even uh, just before my time. Richie Ashburn, mm-hmm. who was a great center fielder for the Philadelphia Phillies and a longtime broadcaster for the Phillies. Well, he played center field at the same time in Philadelphia, that Willie Mays, Duke Snyder, and Mickey Mantle played center field in New York. And he has Hall of Fame numbers, and he didn't get in the Hall of Fame because those guys were getting all the attention. He later got in on the veterans' ballot. But if I said, well, you know, why, uh, why, is, uh, you know, why is Richie Ashburn not in the Hall of Fame? 
well, he wasn't the best of his time. Well, maybe his time on the flip side was really, really good. And there were a lot of uh, excellent players at that time. You know, Roland, okay, from a gut, you know, from a gut standpoint as a fan, I can get you saying, well, gee, I was watching, I watched Scott Roland play and I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer. That's basically my main argument. Is he never okay. struck me as a Are you old enough, you know, since I don't, I've never met you <laughs> that I recall, I don't know, you know, I don't know how old you are, but are you old enough to remember Burt Blylev in pitching? I'm old enough to remember Burt Blylev. I, I, I think when, when his career was ending, I was a young child. So I, 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 know, I know the name. I've seen his highlight tapes, and I know that he was pitching in my lifetime where my memory was formed, right. but I don't remember okay. watching him live. Okay, Burt Blylevin is sort of like Scott. Is sort of like Scott Rowland. I remember I didn't give I didn't give a single thought to Burt Blylevin, and then somebody at the ballpark we were talking Hall of Fame, and you know writers talk about the Hall of Fame a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody said, "Well, you know, Burt Blylevin belongs in the Hall of Fame," and then they gave me a couple of stats, and I started looking, and wow, you know, then I then I kept saying, well, Bert Blylevin belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know, he wasn't necessarily the best of his time. He wasn't Steve, you know, he wasn't Steve Carlton. He wasn't Don, Don Sutton or Phil Necro or Tom Seaver. You know, guys who played around that, you know, guys who played around that time. But his stats were pretty darn good. And lots of times there are, there are groups of players at the same position who are very, very good at one time. And a few of them don't get the recognition that they, that they belong, you know, that they deserve and they don't get in. And Roland had, Roland has a higher war than Tony Gwynn, a higher war than Eddie Murray, Ernie Banks, a bunch of Hall of Famers. Yeah. Not that he was a better player, but what war does is war can quantify both offense and defense. And his defense was excellent. Yeah. And you look at his OP and if you look at his OPS, it's higher than the guy it's higher than I think all the guys I mentioned or close. So, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame isn't just for, you know, spectacular players. It's for excellent, you know, it's for and not necessarily just for excellent players. And also I think that Roland may be getting the advantage of being the least controversial good candidate out there. Yeah, that's that's a that's an excellent point. You're making all the points you made are excellent points. I'm I think I could be swayed because look, the war does stand out to me. The, the I think it was eight Gold Gloves. They they stand out to mm-hmm. me. The the thirty homer power, the high batting average, the on base capabilities. They, they stand out to me. I guess he was consistently. Ex- the thing is, he was consistently excellent. Yeah, was yeah. he spectacular? Was he spectacular? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You know, yeah, he and he helped. You know, he helped. He obviously helped teams win. But uh, you know, it, it's just something that war is something that writers look at very, very closely in looking at the Hall of Fame and looking at uh, you know and looking at annual awards. And it's not something they looked at a long time. You know, and, and war can be misleading too. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough to remember one of the great players of, of the time when I was a, a young guy was Lou Brock. 
who played with the St. Louis Cardinals, who died last year. Lou Brock's war is like in the in the 40s, mm-hmm. but he but he he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's got over 3,000 hits. Before Ricky Henderson came along, he was the leader. He broke Mari Wills's uh, lifetime stolen base record. His defense wasn't real good, but that's why the war wasn't great. Sandy Koufax was the best pitcher, you know, of my lifetime. And his war isn't great because uh, he only had six, he had six spectacular seasons and that, and, and that was it. And then he was forced to retire by, because of injury. So, uh, you know, war is great for helping you find um, deserving players who need recognition, who deserve recognition, you know, players who deserve recognition, who just don't happen to be, you know, at the top of uh, people's, uh, people's memories. Um, older Orioles fans uh, will find, you know, Bobby Grish has a higher uh, war than, you know, than Roland. And Grish never, you know, never came close to sniffing the Hall of Fame in his time. Lou Whitaker, uh, for years I've been champion, championing his cause because he was the, he was the, he's the best player who's not in the Hall of Fame. He has an incredibly high, he has a higher war than, you know, than Roland by a few, you know, by a few points. He had the exact same uh, or very similar statistics to Ryan Sandberg. He deserves to be, you know, in the Hall of Fame without question. But, you know, he was on the ballot once, and I think he got 2.5%. But, you know, 20 years ago, they didn't have war. I mean, now war has been, you know, calculated retroactively. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and I think that that's a good thing. And, I, you know, like a lot of my readers get on me about war when I, when I write about it because, you know, they, they're more comfortable with what they call the old counting stats, home runs, RBIs, and stuff. And I don't want to diminish those. Because I think those are important too. I think they're all, you know, I think they're all important. I agree. I think I think all the stats are important, and you know, I, I gotta say, I'm I'm being swayed here a little bit on Scott Rowland. My main argument was that when I thought of the great players in the game, Scott Rowland wasn't one of them. But then when you look at his numbers and what he did. He is. He is one of those players. I, I could be swayed. I don't know that I consider him a first ballot Hall of Famer. And obviously, well, he's not. A, he, he's right. not. He, he didn't get in. On, he didn't get in on the first ballot. Right. Exactly. So he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. So for me, I don't think he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer either. But that doesn't mean that he's not a Hall of Fame player. Um, there, there's a chance he could get. There's a chance because of because of all these controversial players. There is a chance that you know that he could get in this year. Yeah, uh, there's also a chance that nobody could get in this year, right? Which I think would be a travesty. But yeah, they, I mean, there, there, um, there is a very good chance that nobody gets in this year. But if someone gets in, it may be it may it may well be him. And then you know that's just because you know people don't want to work vote for Kurt Schilling and A Rod and David Ortiz and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Omar Vizquel. Yeah, we we just had a long discussion about it because it's it's basically a ballot filled with the steroid era players, mm-hmm. and it's it's so hard to differentiate and who would have been a Hall of Famer without the without the the PEDs and who wouldn't have been, and it, it's it's a whole 
conversation that we don't have as much time for as we'd like, unfortunately. Now, Rich, so that we do have time for is uh, what the Orioles have done before this lockout happened. Arbitration-eligible players were all extended contracts. They signed Paul Fry for 850000 Jorge Lopez, $1.5 million, and uh, Anthony Santander for $3.15 million. Uh, and then they've extended contracts to Trey Mancini, John Means, and Tanner Scott. How significant is it that they extended contracts to all uh, six eligible players? Well, it was interesting because there was there was chatter about you know about all six of them. Uh, now, I didn't think that they were going to. Tra- I didn't think that they were going to trade John Means. I didn't I, think so either. I mean, I think that that's you know they they would have to get such an incredible such an incredible package, and of course. I didn't. I didn't think that they were going to trade Trey Mancini at this time. You know, at this time, um, I thought that they would extend Scott because I thought that his number would be, you know, and they haven't settled on a number, but I think his number will be, you know, comfortable. Yeah. I was convinced that they were going to tender Lopez, and they did. The two that I was very unsure of, that I'm a little surprised about were Santander and, and Fry. I thought that they might trade Santander just to just to trade him. Um, I mean, but he was. But the fact that that he avoided arbitration this year, and they went to arbitration last, you know, a year ago with him, uh, and that is something that ball clubs don't like to do now. They don't want to go to arbitration with players. So I thought that there was a chance that they would. They would trade him, but um, you know he was coming off a, a disappointing season, and maybe they'll, uh, you know, maybe he'll have a good start and they'll move him at, uh, you know, at the trading de- at the trading deadline in 2022 because it looks like that they have you know a number of outfielders coming along. Yeah, that's, it certainly does. And Santander, I. I... I never looked at him. I could understand the non-tender talk. I never looked at him as a non-tender candidate, but I definitely have looked at him as a trade candidate. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out moving and forward. And Fry, you know, Fry, I was a little, I just thought his number, his numbers, you know, were were so um, were so bad in, in August and that he didn't get called back up was, uh, to me, an indication that they were, you know that they were wavering on him, but you know they got him below market value, and I mean that's not a, you know, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars is not a lot of money, in uh, you know in in today's uh, landscape. Yeah, no, Fry Fry surprised me too. Zach and I were actually just talking about him in his career. He's got a sub four ERA in the first half of seasons and an ERA approaching seven in the second half of seasons. So that's kind of he has a Jekyll and Hyde seemingly every year. Um, that w- that one surprised me too. Now another move that kind of surprised me, uh, but it seems like an Orioles type of move. They signed Roof Neto Door, thirty homer guy, solid defender at second base, um, ton of strikeouts, not a lot of walks. Um, how do you feel about this signing? Does he have an ex- uh, uh, is he in a competition now to be an everyday player, more of a platoon guy? What would his role be with this ball club? Well, I want to see what the you know I want to see obviously what they do in uh, you know in the couple of weeks after this lockout ends and uh, you know and you know, spring training begins because I think that they're probably going to bring in some additional players, but you know they have. Uh, you know they have Jorge. They have Jorge Mateo, who may not be an everyday player, uh, who could play second. They have uh, Ramon Urias, who 
know, can play short and maybe, you know, maybe play second. They have Jemai Jones still. So they have some, you know, they have some guys who can play second. And also Odor played some third with the Yankees. Yeah, he did. Which is, um, which is, which is helpful because, uh, you know, Gutierrez, uh, you know, played pretty well at the end of the season, but not well enough to, to guarantee that he was going to be uh, the incumbent. So I think that, you know, this is another area where the Orioles have a lot of good prospects, um, but I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think you'd see them until, you know, the tail end of, uh, of 2022. And I think that they'll, you know, I think that they'll be eager to, to look at other, uh, you know, other free agent options they're out there. And I, you know, they also, during this lockout can sign minor players to minor league contracts. That's true. So, um, you know, I will see who, you know, we'll see if they are, you know, if they are, I mean, i I was looking today and see that and saw that, uh, you know, since the, uh, since the lockout hit, there have been, you know, a number of players who, who have signed minor league contracts with teams and, you know, the Orioles I'm sure will be active in, in, in looking for, you know, some of those players. Certainly. Now a, a deal that got, Kind of got done before the deadline. He still needs to pass a physical and sign the contract, which will happen after the lockout ends, and that's Jordan Lyles. One year, $7 million moments before the lockout. 180 innings pitched with a 515 ERA in 2021. That ERA doesn't tell the whole story because it was 12-13 and nine appearances and 320 in the other uh, 23 appearances. What are your thoughts on this signing, and what does the $7 million number signify for this team moving forward? Well, it signified that, you know, they realized that they, you know, that's what they got. That's what they're going to have to pay to, to get, uh, you know, even a replacement level type player. That's the way the mark, you know, that's the way, uh, the market was, was speaking. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, that they weren't going to spend a ton of money, but I think the fact that they spent that, you know, that amount of money should be a semi hopeful sign that they're going to be a little more aggressive, you know, going forward here in the, in, in the free agent market, not, you know, this probably will be the, the largest signing of this, you know, of this off season. I don't expect necessarily that they'll sign somebody else unless, you know, unless the market drops, but um, I'm sure Jordan Lyles was eager to, to lock in his team for 2022 as well. Uh, I mean, that's, that, that, that's part of the dynamic, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of players wanted to know where they're going before, you know, before this began. And there's still, you know, a, a huge number of players who don't know where they'll be playing in 2022, particularly the second and third tier players. And, and Lyles is one of those players, you know, and not, you know, not one of the top shelf free agents, a number of whom are, are still, um, you know, still without teams. But that's one of the uh, that's one of the fascinating facets it, of it, uh, what we have, you know, what we have before us. It, it, it's funny to me, and Zach and I talked about this a little bit earlier, too, that the Rangers were even willing to let Lyles go. When you look at what they have in-house with their starting rotation, the innings that he gives, he's two out of every three starts. He's he's a, a fairly good pitcher. The the why wouldn't he just why wouldn't the Rangers try to re-sign him or was it one of those things where maybe they extended him a contract and he was just said he just said no it's time to move on. Yeah, and also lots of times, uh, you know, 
I know how fan you know I know how fans are. And here, if you know a player had those kinds of stats, uh, you know it, it's like Pedro Severino. You know, uh, Pedro Severino is a good signing for Milwaukee, but if the Orioles spent that much money on him as a backup, people would say, well, why do you, you know, why do you re-sign him? You know, um, and lots of times, you know, lots of times it's just best to, um, yeah, it's, it's just best to move on for both parties. Yes, I, I agree. Sometimes a change of scenery is needed for both sides of things. Of course, all this stuff, Rich, is dependent on the two sides agreeing to a new collective bargaining agreement. Of course, they locked out uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Um, what needs to happen? It, it, apparently, they're they're still worlds apart. What needs to happen for them to get on the same page and 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 get this thing done before it starts impacting spring training and regular season games? Well, uh, time's going to have to time is going to have to move on because there's no urgency right now. Uh, nothing is going to. I would be astounded if something got done this month. Yeah. Uh, first of all, they have to be mad at each other. And what was interesting is before the lockout began, they were pretty, both sides were pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Rob Manfred wrote the letter, which I don't think is, was a very useful one and yeah. had his, no. uh, you know, and had his media availability. Uh, and that just, you know, that just annoys the players. And all that does is, prolong the anger. But you know, in most labor disputes like this, um, the side, you know, if they said, oh, let's get back to, you know, the table tomorrow, nothing's going to change. You know, you need to, you need, the sides need to, need to be angry for a few weeks. And, you know, and then the holidays come and then January comes and then, oh, well, we only have a month to get it done. Well, that's when stuff gets done. I mean, there's no, it just doesn't seem like there's an urgency to get it done. I would, I would have loved to have had this because I would have liked to go to the winter meetings. Yeah. You know, um, I would have liked to have, you know, interesting stuff to write about, uh, you know, for two months, but, you know, I, but I don't, uh, and it's, it's, you know, something that they did, it's something obviously they didn't need and whatever, agreement that they'll make on February 1st could have been made on December 1st. Oh, absolutely. But, but, but it's not, yeah, they're, they're, you know, you say that they're worlds apart, but they, they can, you know, with a good week of bargaining, they could get, every, they could get everything done and they're just going to have to get, you know, they're, they're just going to have to realize that they, you know, that they're going to need to work together. Yes, they don't like they don't like each other, but they have no they have no choice. The owners need the players because they have no game otherwise. The players need the owners because you know they can't immediately structure their own leagues. So, you know, they're, they're, there's just no no choice but having to work together, and that will take that will take time. They'll have to cool they'll have to cool off. Both sides will have to realize that we're losing something. The players have to realize, well, you know, we have so many guys who are uncertain and they want to get, you know, th- th- that's what they, the owners are using against the players is the uncertainty of where they're going to, you know, where they're going to play. But once, if this thing happens to go into spring training, 
then the advantage goes to the players because the players can withhold their services then. The owners are just basically now withholding future contracts and they're not allowing players to uh, work out in team facilities right now. So this is, uh, you know, the, the owners will have the advantage for a while. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, ticket sales will not be as brisk as they were for teams because they don't have players to promote. You know, this time of year, uh, a lot of teams start having fan fests and conventions and caravans. Well, they can't have them this year. And that's a valuable promotional device. So, you know, the teams are, you know, the teams are losing something. Uh, there, you know, it is goodwill people, you know, most sports fans are more busy now thinking about football and then people be thinking about the holidays. Uh, and then, you know, after the new year, they'll, uh, I think they'll, they'll get down to more serious bargaining. I mean, I know that doesn't sound hopeful. But, you know, you don't want um, what you don't want. And I old enough to have lived through, you know, a bunch of these disputes is you don't want to see what happened in 1994, which is what happened was, you know, everybody dug themselves in and they said, oh, we got to see this thing through. When you when you hear that, then, you know, then 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 things get worse. This is basically a whole new group of owners. From you know, from then Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the the Chicago White Sox, is is still owning the team, and some of the same families uh, that uh, that own teams then are owning teams now, like the Orioles and the Yankees and the Phillies and some others. But you know, a lot of times these are these are new young these are new younger owners, but you know, they're tough business they're tough business people. Um, they're they're competitive. I mean, players, players are great at what they do because they're competitive. The owners are good at what they do in their businesses because they're competitive people. And that bleeds into this. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing for, uh, you know, for the game necessarily, because what they won't be discussing, they'll be discussing the economic issues, but they won't be discussing, you know, how to make the game you know, more watchable for the fans. And and that that will get lost, and that's a very bad thing. Yeah, I think it's definitely been lost on both sides that this game is for the fans first and foremost. He is the man over at BaltimoreBaseball.com. You can follow him at Rich Dubroff MLB on Twitter. Uh, Rich, what do you have coming up on the website? Uh, well, uh, I, I think we'll uh, maybe we'll talk about uh, some past and future Orioles this week. Uh, I have to decide what I'm going to write about on Monday. I think I know. I think I know, but you never. But uh, you never. You never know for sure. Uh, taking the weekend. Taking the weekend off. But I, I. But don't worry. There will be new content five days a week throughout the lockout uh, on BaltimoreBaseball.com. Uh, I made it through the pandemonium. The pan. Pandemonium. <laughs> it was. It's all pandemonium at this point. Yeah, the pandemic. You know, I made it through the pandemic. You know, I said, when the pandemic hit, I said, oh, gee, what am I going to write about? But, you know, I found stuff to write about. Uh, and, you know, you. we can write about the Hall of Fame. We can write about Chris Davis. You can write about Jordan Lott, Jordan Lyles, who's going to catch for the Orioles. A lot of, you know, I'll go over some of the free agents and, and the moves that they can make and look back at last season. So there's a lot of uh, 
there, there's a lot of there's a lot of content, and we'll have new content every day. Rich, thank you so much. Always appreciate your time on the program. Hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. You have a great weekend. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now. Absolutely. Bye bye. That was Rich Dubroff joining us from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Yeah, what the owners and the players' union don't think about is the guys like us. Who, uh, what are we going to do? Base, like, baseball enjoyers and ba- people talk about baseball. Ba- Anyone? Ba- baseball, who, ba- people who work in baseball mm-hmm. for a living to do shows like the Bat Around right. or write stories for BaltimoreBaseball.com. Right. What are we supposed to do for two months while you guys figure out your money issues? Unfortunately, your they don't care. money <laughs> issues. Right. Yeah, they, right, they don't right, care. Right, right. Uh, I'll tell you what we do care about here in Maryland is the fact that sports betting still isn't in place, but you can still win some money and legally, and we're going to give you free money to play with thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to UnderdogFantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX, and whatever you download, up to $100 we will match. That's right. If you put in $100, we're going to match your $100. If you put in $87, we'll match your $87. You put in $9,817.58, we'll give you $100. We will match you up to $100. Um... Underdog not only has daily and season-long fantasy contests, but also prop bets and fun parlay games where you can win every week this season. So go to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy, click on the Underdog logo, deposit your $10, and get your $10 free, or use the code PRESSBOX at UnderdogFantasy.com and have fun winning money with PressBox and Underdog. We are so far behind. we got to get a break. We'll come back, go over a few things, get another break, and then close the show out next on The Better Out. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you, or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. The next Tyus Bowser Show is Tuesday, December 7th at the Bowman on Harford Road in Parkville. It's brought to you by Pressbox, Great Eights Memorabilia, as well as Window Depot Baltimore, windowdepotbaltimore.com, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, duffysgaragemd.com, and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard joins us courtesy of my bookie. That first sip. <sighs> that first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. 
from all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around on a day that we are not managing our time very well, but I do want to remind you that the batter on this brought to you by the Tyus Bowser Show. It's headed to your way your way this season. You can join the Baltimore linebacker and the special guest teammates at various locations around town. He's had guys like Chuck Clark, uh, Patrick Queen on the show. He was supposed to have Deshaun Elliott, and then Deshaun Elliott, the week he was supposed to do a tour, his peck and biceps, and that's when they ended up getting, uh, um, I think it was Pat Ricard who went in there in his stead. Uh, you have your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia and Pressbox as well as Window Depot, windowdepotbaltimore.com, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin at duffysgaragemd.com. The NFL Chicks Rita Hubbard is now part of the show with Glenn Clark uh, every Tuesday that they do it. It's not every Tuesday. They're spread out. But it is uh, every Tuesday that they do it from here on out. Sarita, um, Sarita Hubbard, the NFL chick, will be part of that. And you can also find out more about the Tyus Bowser Show at PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser or at GreatHMemorabilia.com. The next Tyus Bowser Show is this Tuesday night, December 7th, at the Bowman on Hartford Road in Parkville. Guys, please bring uh, new unwrapped toys for Great H Memorabilia's uh, Toy Drive and find out more about their other collection events, which feature autograph signings with Nick Boyle, Anthony Aver, Tyler Huntley, and more at GreatHMemorabilia.com. Great H Memorabilia with the number eight. In one of those reads that Glenn does during the commercial breaks, he talks about the print issue. And in the print issue, there's an interview with uh, Elijah Green, who could who he promotes as could be the Orioles' number one pick in the draft this coming season. The Orioles might not have the number one pick in the draft. And that's the frustrating thing. You would feel like that this stuff needs to be grandfathered in, right? Like like maybe you, you two, three years from now, you implement the lottery that they're talking about doing with the Major League Draft or the role that you can't pick in the top five uh, two years in a row or three years in a row, whatever they whatever they decide to implement. Um, to me, it's the Orioles just lost 110 games and they're running this rebuild 
in the mindset that you get really good draft picks for being really bad. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you you don't you don't want to reward that if the, if you're trying to get away from rewarding teams for tanking. And I hate and I hate to use the, t- the term tanking because on its surface that's what the Orioles are doing, but really the Orioles are stockpiling draft picks and and, and talent so that they can put a better product on the field. And if the product isn't going to win anyway, why spend a ton of money on a team that even if you were to spend an extra fifty million, you, they're not sniffing the playoffs, right? So the whole thing is, how are you gonna? How would you be able to? How can you take the number one pick away from the Orioles when they've been operating under? the mindset that this is how you you build your ball club. The rule was in place regardless of how you feel about it and how you feel people got there. It's your fault that the rule was in place, that that's how your draft system is 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 working. But now that you're upset with it and you're upset with tanking what it's doing to the game, you're just going to take it away from a team after the fact? To me... I'm very. That's one of the things. That's probably the thing I'm most interested to see because I'm an Orioles fan and I host an Orioles show in Baltimore. It's the thing I'm most interested to see with this CBA is what they do because Evan Drellich said that he doesn't think that they're gonna. That I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he doesn't think that they have to grandfather things in and that they'll even consider that. And I think that that would be wrong. I I wouldn't say I necessarily support punishing teams for losing. I don't think that's the smart way to go. I, I I don't really think that baseball changing anything with the draft process really makes all of that much sense at this point, because why? I, I think tanking is so inevitable in baseball compared to a lot of other sports. I mean, look at the Nationals. They're a team that has been really good for a long time. Guess what? Now they're rebuilding. Now they're, they're trying to get higher draft picks at this point. To me... And their farm system is terrible. And their farm system is terrible. It's and awful. guess what? If they get higher draft picks... They're going to start building up a better farm system like the Orioles did. I think for every team outside of the Yankees and the Dodgers, and maybe a few others, tanking is inevitable at some point. It's not like the NFL where you can go out and a whole free agency can change your entire, you know, your entire roster, your entire outlook. Baseball is very different because you play a lot of games and you have to build up a lot more talent that's going to last over time in the NFL. Guys stay a lot longer on teams because guys play until they're 41, 42 years old. So for me... It makes sense to keep teams or keep things the way it is, is what I'm trying to say, because rewarding losing or not rewarding losing is not really the, the answer. Rewarding losing isn't a good thing, but punishing it is, is really not either. Well, so what they would do, and this is what's been, been proposed, and I don't know if this is what's going to happen, but it, it makes sense, I guess, is you take the, th- the, team, the three teams with the worst record. This is what, mm-hmm. I've, what I've been hearing lately. Take the teams with the three worst records in baseball and you put them in a lottery Mm -hmm. uh the team with the worst record has the most balls or pieces of paper or whatever Mm -hmm. um with the team name on it in this lottery and then the second team has second most and the third team right you you get how a lottery works and they pick and then between those three teams it determines draft order one two three right and then the other teams the other teams then line up. The fourth worst record gets the fourth pick. The fifth worst record gets the fifth pick, and so on and so forth. Right, right? and that's how they line up. I think that you should be able to trade draft picks. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't get why they why they why you aren't. That should be the biggest change in the new CBA that I would be pushing for if I was either an owner or a player. I think it makes so much sense, and the Orioles would have would have used that to their advantage. I guarantee it in this rebuild because you could have traded. Say, you know, Freddie Galvis got 
I, I can't place the name of the guy at the moment who uh, it was very, very minor trade the Orioles made. But if say the, the Orioles made a trade instead of for this unknown pit minor league pitcher that nobody really thinks is that good, what if the Orioles were able to trade Freddie Galvis for, I don't know, 15th round draft pick? Right. Cedric Mullins was drafted in the 13th round. There are guys that come out all the time from 10 to 20 that become really good major league players. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot more sense for a team to say, hey, I'll give you my... You Mike Piazza was taking like the 42nd yeah, round. Yeah, right, exactly. As, I believe it was as a favor, correct? For, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah, as a favor but from, for Tommy Lasorda. Right, you never know where a guy... Tommy Lasorda gave the favor, anyway. You, you never know where a guy might be taken that might actually be a really good major league baseball player. And to be able to trade picks where you know a guy like Freddie Galvis can get traded for a 15th rounder makes so much more sense. It makes so much more sense because then you're letting the team basically choose who they want and maybe they find a sleeper that becomes a really really you know good player like Cedric Mullins has it's the only sport where you can't trade draft picks it doesn't make any it sense it's, no, it's, it's it archaic none. it's archaic no. to me uh, but look it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, because we've we've talked to Brooks Lee we've talked to Elijah Green and what's the point if they take that number one pick away mm-hmm. from now these are great kids sure. who are going to have great major league careers and maybe one, the Orioles still end up with one of them but it's uh it's 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 a very frustrating at, um thought to think that they yeah. that the Orioles had to give their fans a 110 loss season for it to not matter right you know for, for there to be nothing no I I, that comes I, from it. I totally agree and I think that this is part of like you said it's it's been the Orioles assumption this whole time that they are going to get that number one pick and that's you know, I, I I wouldn't say Mike Elias is trying to get the number one pick. I would never say that. I don't think Mike Elias has it in the back of his head that this is my job this year to get us the number one pick. That's not what he's thinking. But as soon as that season ended, he's thinking, okay, we got the number one pick. Let's start operating as as such, as we, if we have, number as one if pick. we have it. And, and and I don't think that that it's in his. I don't think that losing is his priority. I don't no. think that he's sitting there thinking, all right, I want to lose as much as possible. I think he's thinking, look, we don't have the talent yet, and I'm not gonna. Right. Spend a hundred million dollars to get right. five guys who still aren't going to get us there. And look, if the Orioles have the third pick over the first pick, I'm not going to complain that much. They, they you could, could still they, get a quality. They talent. could still end up with one of those guys, right? Sure, I don't think sure. they could end up with Brooks Lee, but I think they could still end up with Elijah Green. I mean, my favorite or, per- or Drew Jones. My favorite personally is Tamar Johnson. I think Tamar Johnson is an incredible baseball player, and a guy like him, you know, he is might he an have, outfielder. Uh, I, well, yeah, he he plays all around. They he have play, a thousand outfielders. He, they have like literally a thousand. He, outfielders. he plays all around. He plays a bunch of different positions, but he's a guy that it could be molded into a really, really great baseball player. And I think that from what I've watched from his swing and everything, he's beautiful swing, but uh, pr- primarily an outfielder. But he's a guy who could definitely uh, be, you know, be a really good player. Well, and all this is brought up because of the fact that uh, we uh, he was mentioned. Elijah Green was mentioned in the promo for Press Box, and I just want to remind you the latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team, and she looks back as she looks back, but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area, and the first Baltimore interview with. Elijah Green, the son of former Oriole, former Raven Eric Green, who could be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft, assuming that they still have that. Press Box is available free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. we got to get a break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up here on the Battle Round. That first sip. <sighs> That first bite, 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Once again this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash Radio. Pressbox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives could change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on PressBox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ty's Bowser Show. The next Ty's Bowser Show is Tuesday, December 7th at the Bowman on Harford Road in Parkville. It's brought to you by Pressbox, Great Eights Memorabilia, as well as Window Depot Baltimore, windowdepotbaltimore.com, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, duffysgaragemd.com, and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard joins us courtesy of my bookie. Uh, uh, that new GCR, the bat around music. Yeah, 
You know, it's, I, I love it. It's, it's our music now, really. It's our, it's our, it's, it's officially our music. Cause I'm turning down myself instead of the, the music for some reason. It's but. so, it's so funny, man. I've, I've done that where I, yeah, where I like, I'm, I'm trying to fade the, down yeah. the music by, and I'm talking, I'm fading myself down <laughs> by accident because <laughs> right, yeah. they're right next to each other. Whatever. Right next to each other. Um, well, thanks. I'm going to let it play a little more. Guys, thanks for uh for tuning into the bat around. Uh, we we ran we we ran super long today, um as is wont to happen when you're having a great time doing what you're doing and talking to great guests who have a lot to say. Well, you- the other thing is that this is the most that's going to happen for a long time. Today's yeah. show, ha- I mean, we, you know, Jordan Lyles, all the arbitration signings, Ruth uh, Neto Door, the, r- right. the Hall of Fame ballot Co- being announced, Corey Seager, three hundred twenty-five million dollars. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happened, yeah, and really, we didn't even get into half of it. Yeah, there's we, so many. We free left agents. guys out. There were uh, right. over a over a billion and a half dollars worth yeah. of free agent signings. It's, it's hard to cover in two hours, especially when you have guests like Rich and Stan who. You want to talk to them. They have a lot to say, and that's why we have them on the show because they have a lot to say, and we want to hear what they have to say. Right? You know what I mean? I'm I'm not gonna cut them short. I'm gonna give them the time that they that they need. You know what I mean? So sometimes, uh, sometimes shows run long, and that's that's okay. You know what happens on uh happens on GCR almost every day. We go to go to twelve thirty. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Zach? There is a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as the Batarounds own Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Maryland football coach Mike Loxley, NBC play-by-play legend Mike Tarico, ESPN Sal Palantonio, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Um, yeah, really great week of programming. Sal Palantoni is like the nicest freaking guy in the world. Uh, you know, he texted me to to to, to come on the show. Like, really, like I would have loved, to, I would have, I would have hit him up anyway to be on the show. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, it was super. That's one of the cool things. Uh, when Kyle left the show on his final show, they were asked, they asked Kyle, uh, what was the best part about this show, and he was like. Buck Walter knows who I am. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Sal Palantonio knows who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he texted me, a, a Lamar sat and asked if we wanted him back on the show. I'm like, duh, we want you back on the show. We yeah. were going to ask you anyway. Um, just... This, it's it's a really it's really cool. It's it's opening a, a world to me that I, that I wasn't sure that I would ever be open to, which is it's just awesome. But anyway, um, Ravens have a big rivalry game tomorrow with the Steelers. Look, I. I this was a seven-game stretch that you looked at at the beginning of the season. You're like, the Ravens need to be playing some damn good football when they hit that stretch, mm-hmm. right? And and with the way the season started in, in training camp with all the injuries, right, I thought that this stretch wouldn't even matter. I thought the Ravens would be lucky. Would I thought the Ravens would be lucky to win six games this year? And then they go into the seven-game stretch with a record of seven and three. I, I, and even still, I thought that as we were about the the quarter pole, I thought the Ravens probably need to be eight and two hitting that seven game stretch. But then the Browns fell off a cliff. The Steelers fell off a cliff. Uh, the Ravens are now eight and three. They're the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, first place in the AFC North, obviously. Uh, they got a big game against the Steelers tomorrow who are playing like absolute garbage. They gave up 41 mm-hmm. points each of their last two games. They got absolutely embarrassed by the Cincinnati Bengals. Everybody is saying that the that the Steelers look soft, and all these players are coming out. This isn't Steelers football. They can't stop the run, and Ben Roethlisberger's done, and that scares the living crap out of me. The Ravens need to win this game, like legitimately. The Ravens need to get to a point where, when they get to that three game uh, area of Green Bay, Cincinnati, L.A., 
that they only need to win one of those games. Mm-hmm. They need to be in that position, mm-hmm. right? Now, I, I would love for them to be the number one seed, but only one team gets a bye, and the Ravens are 0-2 all time in the playoffs when they have that first round bye. So I don't necessarily need that. It'd be cool. It, it, it'd be cool to have. But I'm telling you, man, this this game tomorrow, I think the Ravens should win. Uh, I don't think that they will because... T.J. Watt looks like he's going to play. Yes, he is playing. They just confirmed it this morning. He's playing. Yeah, he's pl- he's playing tomorrow. Spillane is out though. Hayward, there's maybe- the Hayward. They're saying they have optimism on now this yeah, morning. Yeah, so. Steelers' offensive line is trash. Ben Roethlisberger is now trash. But he did throw for like 370 yards and three mm-hmm. touchdowns. Against. Well, that's because he throws 50 times a game. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking at this game and Lamar's been playing really some of the worst football of his entire career mm-hmm. this past month. Seven interceptions his last three games compared to just five touchdowns. Four interceptions mm-hmm. in that win over the Browns. And I, I, I'm looking at... I was at that game. Um, he played so poorly. Yes. He played so freaking poorly. But the defense was phenomenal. Defense mm-hmm. has been really good. People aren't talking about it enough. Defense has been really good for a month now. Uh, I think the defense will show up again. I'm taking Steelers 2017 over the Ravens this week. Interesting. All right. I, I So last week I predicted that I was. It was two weeks ago now that I predicted they would lose, and you predicted they would win. I'm the opposite. I think they're going to beat the Steelers. I'm not. I'm actually. It's the first game against the Steelers in a long time where I'm not overly concerned. But then again, it is an AFC North game, and AFC North games are always tough. Um, I think the Ravens are going to win, 24-17. I'm, I'm. I'm decently confident that they're going to pull this game out because the Steelers give up a lot of points, and they're just not that good of a football team right now. And I think Big Ben. The, the biggest. My biggest concern is that the Ravens barely have any healthy corners. Almost all of the corners are injured. So. That's a really. That's They're a sick. They're not injured. They're sick. Well, you know, Kevin Seymour on the COVID list. Marlon Humphrey was sick. Anthony Averett has two injuries in multiple places. Jimmy Smith's been injured. You know, still banged up. He's been a- inactive like the past three weeks. They Tavon Young has He's issue. Sick. He's sick as well. So it's it, Marlon Humphrey. By the way, was was courtside at the Wizards game last night. So I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be playing. But I'm, uh, I'm certain of it. Then. Right. So. It, that concerns me. But then again, Big Ben is is a quarterback who can barely throw the ball forty yards down the field. So I. I don't know. I it's going to be a hard fought game, but I think the Ravens will win it. Uh, nobody practices. The people missing practices this time of year, it's what you expect. It's December. You've had a long you had a long training camp. You had a long you've had a long season to, to date. Right. People not practicing doesn't concern me as much as it normally would. I agree. Because these are guys who you don't hear a big thing about the injury, and all of a sudden they're on the injury report. It's probably just something. And then that's they're nagging. on the field and, on Sunday. And, yeah, it, it's just what yeah. happens. There was a point. I think there was a point in Calvin Johnson's career where he just never practiced and just played on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't doubt I, it. You know, I mean, that's a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Sure. But, but so that's that doesn't concern me. It's not really anything physical or about the talent. It's more so simply the fact that everybody's counting the Steelers out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do. And I think, oh, it, yeah. I think it's all bulletin board material for that team. And they're still the Steelers. They still have Mike Tomlin as their head coach who's never posted a losing season. They still have mm-hmm. T.J. Watt, who's arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, and Cam Hayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Najee Harris can break off. The Ravens have a hard time. I mean, look, they, they demolished that running game by the mm-hmm. Browns. I was shocked last week. And the offensive line isn't great for the Steelers, but... They still give up big plays. Yep, they give up big plays every game, and I can see Chase Claypool scoring a sixty-five yard touchdown, and I I can see Najee Harris breaking off a forty-five yard run on third and seven. Sure, you know what I mean. Like uh, to me, it's just I think the Ravens can win. I think they should win. I don't think they will win, and I really I'm I'm hoping against all 
against everything that I'm wrong. Like, like I'm not saying this because I don't like the Ravens. I think the Ravens are the better team. I just don't think they're going to win because everybody's counting the Steelers out, and I think they're going to use this bulletin board Fair material. Enough. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into the Bat Around for 32 hours and 37 minutes today. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, we will be back next week, hopefully with, with some guests uh, talking about some of these big signings, maybe somebody from the Blue Jays, maybe somebody from the Mets. We'll see what we can get for you for next week. Until then, thanks for tuning into the Bat Around. See ya!